Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-Centered Encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com. You know, I didn't know much about Brazil, still don't. But from what I heard from people who had been there, or people who were from there, uh, because I'd heard a long time ago that outside of Africa, the largest population of black people is in Brazil. But you don't ever see them on television, even on the Brazilian programs. It's every now and then. I mean, somebody will pan the camera, and you'll spot them on the, uh, at, at Mardi Gras time. But where are they the rest of the time? When they make the advertisements and do all the hoopla and whatnot, you wouldn't think that it's, you know, it was just, you would think that there's just a smattering of black people in Brazil. I mean, when I say black people, the black people that look like black people in, Af- in Central Africa. Mm-hmm. But the, the numbers are huge. But they all push back up in those hills. But when it comes to classification, from what I understand, Brazilians will tell you, we don't have any discrimination here. You know, everybody's the same. Color don't make no difference here. This is Brazil. Rio's racial divides are starkly highlighted by some new maps of the city. A Brazilian college kid, inspired by maps of Chicago, created the Rio maps using census data. And Will Carlos, with our partners at Global Post, has been checking them out. Well, what they show is just extreme segregation in, in Rio's south zone. So you've got, first of all, they show that, that the population of these few neighborhoods is more than 80% white, which is completely out of sync with the rest of Brazil. And it shows that where there are people of mixed race or, or non-whites living, they're, they're clustered together in very tight locations within these neighborhoods. Is this just Rio? Can this data be kind of extrapolated out to the whole country? 
I think it's hard to say whether it's, you know, whether it is just Rio or not. The experts that I talked to, the demographers that I talked to for this story said that this is certainly the case. I mean, that there is absolute segregation all throughout Brazil, not in the same way, though. What's interesting about Rio is that you tend to have people living kind of very close to each other. There is segregation, but, you know, all the way along the coast, even on these beautiful coastlines, you have these favelas where you have, um, you know, poorer non-whites living. And it's right next to some of the swankiest neighborhoods in Brazil. What's the case in other parts of Brazil is you've got segregation, but the favelas tend to be on the outskirts of the city. They tend to be away from the center. Basically, the the cheapest parts of town is where you normally find the favelas. Were you surprised when you first saw these maps? I mean, did, did the maps match up with what you see on the streets of Rio? I wasn't really that surprised, to be honest. It was it was stark. It was interesting to see. But, you know, there's clearly segregation in Rio. There's no question about it. I mean, you go into some neighborhoods and people, you know, people have different color skin. I grew up in Sao Paulo. I lived there for eight years when I was a kid. It's always been that way, that the elites in Brazil are basically, you know, white and they, the wealthy people are on the whole white and they tend to live in, in the nicest parts of town, in the most exclusive neighborhoods. And other parts of town are where non-whites live. It's just a a fact of life here. Brazilian politicians, though, portray their country as being a mixed place where race is not an issue. I mean, is that whole mixed place business a false narrative? Well, and it's not just politicians, right, Marco? It's it's all levels of Brazilian society. The people that I speak to here say that they've grown up almost brainwashed into this idea that Brazil is this sort of uh, racial paradise. It's this it's this utopia where where everybody lives together happily and everything else. And um, I guess this began in like the 1930s and 40s, and and has just kind of permeated to this day. Meanwhile, you know, you've got a Congress where there's one congressman who is non-white. The business and economic elites here are all dominated by whites. And, you know, it's just starting to become part of the political conversation here about whether we should be thinking about things like police violence, whether we should be thinking about things like economic injustice in terms of race here, as opposed to just in terms of sort of social inequality. Yeah. So how can this data, how can these uh, visuals actually change the reality on the ground, especially if there's only one non-white congressperson in Brazil? I think what they do is they bring this conversation to the mainstream and they kind of make a mockery of this idea that that everybody's living in harmony and that people aren't segregated. I mean, once you see these maps and you see how stark they are and you see some of the other uh, illustrations that are out there, it kind of makes this this pretense that that Brazil is under start to evaporate and hopefully leads to kind of a more intelligent uh, political conversation over these issues. You know, we just heard from reporter Catherine Osborne about the pacification of the favelas and how the drug war seems to have just led to greater violence. Is this the same thing that we've seen in the U.S., like in Baltimore and St. Louis, just this enormous polarization between cops and blacks? Oh, there's, there's no doubt that there's a huge, huge problem, far, far worse than the United States when it comes to you know police disproportionately killing young black men. Actually, in Rio de Janeiro, over between 2010 and 2013, uh, the police committed more than one out of every six of the homicides. And out of those homicides, four of five victims were under 29 years old and of African descent. So that just tells you just how stark the problem is here. There's this, there's this kind of canard that goes around in Brazil, which is that a dead bandit is a good bandit. And unfortunately, the stereotype 
stereotype in Brazil is that bandits are overwhelmingly young and male and black and that it's kind of okay. It's kind of, it's kind of fine for, for police to go out and to kill them almost indiscriminately. And, and unfortunately, that's something that you see as pretty much a daily occurrence in, in cities across Brazil. Reporter Will Carlos with our partners at Global Post speaking with me from Rio de Janeiro. Thanks very much, Will. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Monday, February 13th, 2016. Excuse me, 2017. Living in the past. So I have been told uh, broadcast for today uh, got rescheduled quite a few times. Uh, I had uh, major voice issues. Uh, folks heard from. Uh, two weeks ago and uh, thought my voice was going to be better in time for the broadcast. It was not, so we rescheduled. Uh, And then our guest, uh, again showing the monumental importance of black parents, uh, had to be a parent, had a sick child, so we had to reschedule again. I know listeners were very disappointed uh, that we had to uh, put things off for a week, but patience we held on, got the program all set up for today. Uh, the audio clip you heard uh, Mr. Fuller at the very beginning talking about some of his thoughts on Brazil and the general uh, perception and the way people uh, think and talk about Brazil. Uh, you also heard uh, the news segment from PRI, Public Radio International, uh, where they were talking uh, about the reality that white supremacy racism is a gargantuan problem in Brazil for black people uh, and even the police issue. I mean, and that's just one aspect of the problem, how that is a worse problem in Brazil than it is in the U S and higher concentration of black people probably at the root of that. I think that's something that's very important to keep in mind. I know we have a lot of U S listeners uh, for the broadcast, but Brazil highest population, uh, highest percentage uh, of black people uh, in the Western Hemisphere, unless I'm in error. So very important uh, geographic region, I think, folks that are interested in racism, white supremacy should pay attention to, um, particularly since you hear a lot of rhetoric comparing the daily operations of racism, white supremacy in Brazil to what people think is maybe on the horizon for how things might look in the United States. I uh, will definitely uh, touch on all of these issues uh, and the phenomenal website uh, that our guest for today's broadcast, he is the founder of. Uh, they have just thousands, literally, uh, of reports uh, that deal with racism, uh, issues of race uh, in Brazil. Uh, they deal with police brutality. They deal with issues of beauty. They deal with anti-blackness, natural hair, many of the exact same concepts uh, that we touch on here in the States. But certainly there are some major differences uh, in how things operate down in South America. I think uh, he had listened to a couple programs and even some of our listeners. I uh, had also checked out his website and recommended that he be a guest on the program. After weeks of rescheduling and postponing, we were finally able to w- uh, make things work out. Joining us live from Brazil, the founder of Black Women of Brazil, uh, Marquise, joining us live. Are you with us, sir? I certainly am. Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your, I guess for you, Monday evening uh, on the program. Glad we could have you with us. And uh, first and foremost, very happy that your daughter is doing better and uh, (laughs) not having the tough time that she was last week. Oh, yeah, she's she's stretched out right now. I'm glad to see she uh, (laughs) she's not having any problems sleeping at night. So this is going to be smooth. Right on. Right on. Black parenting. Super important. 
Uh, anything that you would like to share with our listeners, the, the website is linked in the description for the program. But any folks that are not familiar with Black Women of Brazil, just anything that you think uh, folks should know about the site briefly uh, and who you are, the work that you do. Oh, wow. How can I even introduce uh, the website? I think it, it kind of speaks for itself. But um, some of the some of the, the very issues that you, you spoke on in introducing the blog and my work on the blog is it, it struck me that so many of the issues that growing up in the United States, the same issues are issues here in Brazil. But they're just now really coming into the forefront now because for so long there's it's been so silence on the issue of race and racism because unlike the United States where we had this practice that says, okay, you black people over here, we're white people over here. Brazil's system was kind of like we don't really want to deal with these black people, but if we do, we want to mix them out of the population. So they went at the racial the racist aspect of it in a completely different way than the United States did. So when I came up with an idea for the blog, I had actually started a blog maybe seven years ago. It was a bilingual blog, but it was just too much work to do Portuguese and English. And it was, it was just exhaustive to do. So I says, well, there's no websites out here that are in English about Brazil and speak specifically about the race issue in terms that my target audience is obviously African-Americans with, relate to. So that's what the uh that's what really what I was trying to convey when I put the blog together. And another thing is that before I even had the idea of of, of doing a blog, what I noticed with Brazilians, white Brazilians, black Brazilians, any of them, anyone who is in denial about how race influences the society, whenever you speak on race and they find out that you're not a Brazilian, automatically, oh, you're one of those Yankee racist Americans. So your opinion doesn't count because you don't know Brazil. And I'm like, okay, so the way that I remedy that is that I divide the blog into two spaces. The first part of the blog where it says usually I start my any post, I'll start off. It'll say note from black women of Brazil. That's my own personal opinion. And then you'll see the main material for the blog, which is basically saying, look, you can't tell me that I'm just an American writing about Brazilian issues because like 99 percent of the articles on the blog, I simply take the material and translate it for an American, an English-speaking audience. So you can see, like, Brazilians are seeing this. It's just a lot of people are still in denial. So that's that's really the reason some of the influences of why I thought this blog was necessary. Hmm. And you yourself were born where? I'm actually born. I was actually born in Georgia. But, you know, I was I was raised in the D. I'm from Detroit. So, you know, I, my parents, my mother, her, her whole family is from Georgia. But Detroit is what I know. Jo- you know, Georgia is like, you know, it's like that's where I, I want to go when I want to be with the fam, you know, with my peeps. But Detroit, I grew up in the D. So I represent for the D and I'm in Brazil now. Wow. How long have you been in Brazil? Well, I started visiting Brazil in, uh, what was that, August, September of 2000. I started coming to Brazil every year and sometimes twice a year. Every year between 2000 up to 2012, which is when I made the, made the transition to just decide to move here. Because my first eight years coming here, I was visiting the Northeast because the Northeast of the countries where you're going to find darker skinned people. You're going to see people who are more obviously black. Um, but after about 2008, the economic engine of this country is Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo is like 
Brazil's New York. Everything that happens in Brazil is it happens in Sao Paulo. So when I can when I started visiting Sao Paulo, I'm like, wow, there's so many this opportunity here. The consciousness movement seems to be a little uh, deeper here. Uh, the economic access of the black population is a little bit bigger in Sao Paulo than other par- other parts of the country. So I says, well, there's nothing holding me back there. So I decided to make the move. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. 2012, and you've mm-hmm. been there. You've been living there since 2012. The last five years, I guess. Since about what was I got here in August of 2012? I remember I got here a couple of months before the second election of Barack Obama. I remember that. Okay. Okay. Now, and for people who haven't seen you, you are a black male. Is that correct? I am a black male. Okay. Wow. And uh, you are you married? <laughs> that's a complicated topic. Okay. Officially, no, I'm not. Well, wow, that's a tough question, man. Because of the legalities, it's like on the one hand, I'm not still officially divorced, but on the other hand, my life has moved on. So I could say I'm, God, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like in limbo right now to, to speak legally. Okay. Fascinating. Mm. Fascinating. Oh, yeah. Uh, you have children, we know, because that was part of why things got rescheduled last week. Uh, the mother. <sighs> The mother of your children uh, is she there in Brazil with you? Oh yeah, she's uh she's born and raised in Sao Paulo. Uh, and we, you know, uh, I didn't have children before I came here, and uh, you know, my my, my first uh, trek into parenthood, and I get twins. You know, wow, right, wow, double duty, oh, yeah. extra work, double, <laughs> get an extra star for that. <laughs> um, I guess before we get uh, into more detail and, and go into some of the specific articles on the site and kind of get some of your views in general uh, on how racism operates down there, uh, our programs, we start out uh, with definitions of racism. Uh, I use the term racism and white supremacy. I use those two terms as synonyms, same definition for both terms. That definition is as follows. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Uh, do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? Absolutely. There's no, no question. Um, I, I have more to add to that discussion because I'm in another country and I see that it functions in a slightly different manner here, but probably even more efficient than the system that we're familiar with in the United States. Wow. Uh, I guess for for some of the details in terms of uh, slight differences and what things make it more efficient, just so we understand. Okay, let me put it this way. Um, The first thing that you have to deal with when you're dealing with the racial construct in Brazil is, is the issue of race itself. Now, when I first started getting into studying this country, I, I was fascinated by the fact that uh, unlike how in the United States we lived under what was called the one drop rule for so long, it says, well, we don't care if you look like Vanessa Williams. We don't care if you got blue eyes, you got naturally straight hair. You're still black if you have any known African ancestry, whereas in Brazil, people can know you have African ancestry. Your father could be black. Your mother could be black. But if you look white enough People will try to push you onto the white side. They'll actually try to talk you into being white. Like, well, you don't look like Pele. You're not jet black. You know, you don't have nappy hair. So why would you want to identify yourself as black? So 
for so many years, people bought into that concept and it kind of pushed the racial issue under the carpet because so many people had just accepted white supremacy for what it is without even challenging it, without even knowing that that's what it actually was. So what I say is why I say is that it's more efficient is that how racism happened in the United States is that it was just in your face. It was blatant. It's it's dogs biting, biting black children. It's it's firefighters using their hoses on black, you know, black crowds and protests and rallies. Um, it's it's blatantly uh, law sanctioned segregation. So these are blatant examples of how racism worked in the United States. And even though those laws don't naturally don't don't exist anymore, it's still de facto because the United States is still segregated among racial lines. Whereas in Brazil, even though you never had actual laws that says blacks here and whites there, it still functions the same way. And why is it more efficient is that because of the mixture that goes on here and because of the more subtleties of, of racism and the lack of uh, uh, law sanctioned racism, people often didn't see it. Many of the activists you see in the, what we call the Movimento Negro, which is you know like the black uh, social civil rights movement here, many of the activists themselves were not familiar with racism. They, they grew up in this country seeing examples of how racism functions in Brazil, but yet they, because of the, the, the myth of what's called the racial democracy here, they didn't see it. They just believed they had been so so ingrained with the idea that racism is something that happens in South Africa. It's something that happens in the United States. We don't have racism here because most of us are mixed. So how can we be racist? So this is why I say it, the, the, the brainwashing affected the black population so well, so sufficiently that there was no, there was really no even a reason. How can I put this? It worked more efficiently because you, you, it basically muted any type of black rights struggle among the general population. Now, Within that struggle, you still had a small, minute group of black activists over the years who have still tried to put this race issue on the front page. But it's only been, I'd say, in the last 10 to 15 to 20 years that the general population is starting to understand, like, wow, this country is as racist and in some ways more racist than the United States or South Africa during apartheid. Context of white supremacy. We're speaking with the founder of the Black Women of Brazil website, linked in the description for the program. Um, what what attracted you, or what piqued your interest uh, back in 2000? You said when you first started, kind of mm -hmm. making these treks to go down and visit once or twice a year. What what sparked your interest in Brazil? You know, that's a story that I love to tell because everybody asks me that. Um, you know, I have been behind the scenes on my blog for about five years. I had a lot of people asking me, well, who is the creator of this blog? I don't see a name. I don't see a person. Who is it? Because I wanted the blog to speak for itself. So I only recently posted my own personal information on the blog. Uh, I think it was probably in December, a couple of months ago. But here's what happened. Um, in Detroit, uh, I used to frequent a lot of black owned bookstores that, you know, they, they specialize in black history books, black literature, uh, black consciousness, these types of things. Um, there was a bookstore and people in Detroit who, who, who are in Detroit, they'll remember this. It was a, a bookstore called the uh, Shrine of the Black Madonna. Unfortunately, that from what I hear, you know, this happened when when I was already here. But I, I heard the bookstore had closed a couple of years ago. Uh, one of the uh, the main 
persons who ran the bookstore, she died. I was just like devastated when I heard that because, like I said, I was already here by then. But in Christmas Eve of 1999, I was in the Shrine Bookstore looking for something to buy from, you know, just for a Christmas gift for myself. And I happened to pick up the um, the encyclopedia called the Africana uh, Africana, the Encyclopedia of the African and African American Experience. So this book uh, is edited by Henry Louis Gates, and I think his name is Kwame Apaya. And I took that book home, and I was just amazed. I mean, I'm into the African diaspora in general as it is, but what I was shocked about was so many articles that I saw in, in this book on Brazil. I was like, I mean, when you grow up in the United States and, and the issue is race, the only black person in Brazil that comes to mind is like Pele, the, you know, the, the, the world famous soccer player. But that's it. You don't really generally associate Brazil with being black because I think Americans in general, when we think of Latin American countries, we think of this type of Indian looking mestizo. And you, they don't teach us in the schools that, well, African-Americans got here through, you know, uh, the, the slave ships dropped you off there, but they didn't tell us what these slaves, these slave ships dropped off other millions in Dominican Republic, Jamaica, Brazil, Colombia, Venezuela. We're not taught that it's something we, we have to teach ourselves, which is another reason why we need our own schools. That's another whole nother issue. But I took Africana home and I was just blown away when I discovered people like Benedita da Silva. I discovered people like Abagias do Nascimento. He was, he's the closest thing you're going to come to, like uh, MLK, Malcolm X, Medgar Evers type leader. Um, and he was the only black Brazilian I knew at the time who uh, some of his work was available in English. So in the same shrine bookstore where I, find, uh, I found the Africana Encyclopedia, I found two books by Nascimento. I mean, I devoured those books in a matter of days because I was just blown away. How is it that these people exist in Brazil that look like us and they have similar experiences, but none of us know this story? So the Africana book, it said it, it was estimated. It says, well, in Brazil today, there's anywhere between 80 to 120 million black people. I was just blown away. I'm like, at the, at the time, I think African-American population in 99, 2000 was about 35 to 36 million. I'm like, how is it that Brazil has maybe three to four times more black people and nobody knows this? So, like I said, then I started reading a Nascimento book and I was just I was I was just fascinated to, to, to understand the similarities and the differences between our people in North America and South America. And I just discovered, you know, it was just like it's something that needs to be more explored. Because what we're talking about in a so-called post-racial America right now, and I put that in quotes, of course, Brazil has already experienced that because it's the idea of indoctrinating the, po the population that racism doesn't exist all the while while promoting it. So it, Christmas Eve 1999 is when this whole thing started for me. And from then, I, you know, the Internet was blowing up. I started learning a little bit of Portuguese so then I could uh, read some of the material in Portuguese because there's only so much that you're going to find in English, which, which was another influence for me starting a blog and, you know, and for the English speaking world. But that's that's where it all started with the African Encyclopedia for me. Wow. Had racism been an acute problem for you in the U.S. before you departed for South America? You know, the funny thing about uh, growing up in a place like Detroit now, Detroit. I don't know where it is now because so many of my people are telling me the the, the profound changes that are going on in Detroit. It's like they're doing a, a reverse gentrification type thing going on. Things, you know, like what I've heard going on in parts of Philadelphia, parts of Chicago, parts of New York, where they're moving black people out. 
and moving in the population that they prefer. So living in Detroit, at the time, 86% black, racism didn't really enter my life until I got a job and I had to start working in the suburbs, you know, a 30-minute you know, uh, drive to get to work every day and every night, where I was coming into, you know, coming into contact with mostly white people and dealing with the nuances of how white people deal with you without just, you know, calling you the N-word or anything like that. And just realizing, like, wow, this is completely different than what I'm accustomed to. You know, I, I actually went to a couple of schools that had mixed uh, populations, but it still didn't prepare me for what I experienced when I, when I, when I actually got a job. So I, I, structural racism, of course, affects all of us. But that face to face racism, that, that Archie Bunker type of racism, it didn't ever really affect me living in Detroit because I was surrounded by my people. Hmm, I see. Interesting. You, but it wasn't an issue on the job. Is that what you were saying? From time to time. Yeah, because uh, you meet it. You run into all types of white people. <laughs> when you go into suburban Detroit, you run into those white folks who, oh, I'm liberal. <clears throat> you know, I don't have a problem with you. Black people just don't marry my daughter. You got those white people that says, uh, no, I don't like you Negroes. Uh, it's better that you stay on the other side of eight mile. You got those white folks who I'm real comfortable with black people. You know, I like black girls. You know, I like hip hop. It's, it, it introduced me to the whole world of how white supremacy functions. So that 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 opened my mind. That's that's what really made me start digging into, you know, just like uh, the social sciences, because I wanted to understand that a little bit more. Hmm. Understood. Understood. Mm -hmm. With. Uh... Brazil to try and start working with some of your articles and give listeners the opportunity to, to call in as well and, and definitely get your mm -hmm. thoughts on some of the, the major things that have happened in Brazil with the Olympics being there this past summer and the coup that we were talking about a little bit on the phone, uh, the first mm -hmm. female president and her fall from, from power. Um, I wanted to touch on, because uh, this is important even just for understanding uh, how racism operates, one of the major ways that anti-black racism operates from a structural level that impacts black people um, that you mentioned last week where you were saying that, unfortunately, your daughter, she was having a minor health problem last week and you went to get medical care for your daughter. Mm -hmm. And that ended up being a really challenging ordeal because of racism, white supremacy. Can we get more detail? Man, that here's the thing. You know, I had read about this for years, but reading something and then having your own personal experience, it it, it just leaves a a delible and influence. It it is something that you're gonna always remember. So let me let me put it this way. Um, Brazil has this national health system. It's called SUS. It's like a uh, it's like a, I guess it's the closest thing you can call to a a a, a, nation, a nationwide healthcare service, but when I got here, um, me and my girl, we actually have, uh, you know, we, we had a, a, a health care plan. It, it was one of one of the best plans you could get. And, you know, when when we discovered that she was pregnant, uh, we started going to doctors, you know, to, you know, getting the, the regular checkups to make sure, you know, pregnancy is going well. And you just saw some of the best hospitals. We had access to some of the best hospitals in Sao Paulo. Right. And I would always notice when I go into these places, like these places are like mostly all white. You'll see a few sprinkles of black people here and there. You'll see a lot of people, black people sweeping the floors, 
But all of the doctors, all of the nurses are going to be white. Like 90 to 95 percent of the patients waiting in the waiting room are going to be white. But the upside of that is that you're going to get medical attention in a relatively quick manner. You're not going to wait more than, say, 30 minutes to, or to an hour. And you're going to get medical, good medical attention no matter what time of day it is. I mean, we went to the hospital a few times in a midnight, 2 in the morning, 4 in the morning, whatever. When you got a good health care plan, everything is good. Everything is gravy. Everything is perfect. Now, because of some economic problems that we've had of late, you know, we've had to make some cutbacks on certain things. You know, we have to cut back on like the cable TV, you know, just people, everybody who lives in the U.S. who has encountered some uh, economic difficulties know what I'm talking about. But it came to the point where we had to cut back on the health care plan. So cutting back on the health care plan, when my daughter got sick last week, we had to go to a public hospital. The ones that we went to before under the health care plan were private hospitals. So you go to the public hospital and you see the racial climate, the racial environment shift immediately. Now you see much more uh, just obviously black people when you go in and you wait and you're going to wait. You're going to sit in the waiting room for a couple of hours before your name gets called. So I saw that immediately. I'm like, wow, it, it's, it's not even something that I just see in the healthcare system. You see it because, you know, my kids are still less than two years old. But when the time came to choose a place for daycare, we're looking at the public facilities and we're looking at the private facilities. When you go to the private facilities in Sao Paulo, if you're paying money per month, you're out of 100 kids, you might see two De, you know, definitively black kids and then maybe two or three of those well they look kind of black types but 90-95% of those paid places are going to be people who look white or identify themselves as white because that's a concept that the United States still hasn't got into yet where you can have African and indigenous ancestry and still identify yourself as white it's part of the norm here so this is what I saw even when you go to like some of the, the more upper crust shopping malls here you walk into these malls and it's just like, whoa, I can't even afford to walk on the floor in here. So it, it's, it's, it's shocking the, how the racial divide works in this city and Brazil in general without having to have strict segregation at the same time. Wow. Context of white supremacy. I think this is the first time, uh, might be an error, but I think this is the first time that we've had uh, guest participant on the program from South America, but we certainly have wow, had that's cool. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but we certainly have had people on from lots of other parts of the world, and that has been a trend that we have noted. Uh, just being able to talk to more non-white people and being able to pick out places and particularly focus on what is the percentage, the black percentage of the population, and the higher that percentage goes, the worse. Public amenities are going to be uh, health care, anything public housing, anything that is to do with the general welfare of the population, public schools, public transportation, all of those things. The higher the percentage, the black percentage of the population is. Oh, man, all that stuff is going to be garbage. Uh, once it starts to get past a certain point, they don't want to invest in any of that stuff. When I say they, I mean white people. Then you look conversely when we've had people on from Sweden. Uh, the Netherlands, areas where it's a very low population of black people, oh, 
universal health care. It's <laughs> single payer. It's out of control. Public uh, transportation is awesome. Public schools are the best in the universe. I mean, it's total opposite. They're willing to invest mm-hmm. to make sure that everybody is taken care of. And we want to make sure we invest for the general welfare of our entire society, as long as we mm-hmm. don't have too many Negras here. Uh, anything <laughs> you wanted to add to that? I think you nailed it. Um, what I'll add to that is that, wow, uh, when you grow up in the U.S. and then you move to a country like Brazil, it, it, it presents several challenges. Uh, being here four and a half years, it's it's a struggle living here because some of the things that you just take for granted living in the United States don't necessarily exist here unless you have a lot of money. Um, some of just just, you know, just average things that you have in life are just way beyond your budget unless you're making a lot of money in Sao Paulo. It's uh, just, I mean, how many examples can I give? When I was in Detroit, I was driving a used Ford Fusion. It was a 2007 Ford Fusion. I spent, I think, six or $7,000 on that car. Now, the same car in Sao Paulo can cost you, I'm saying 2007 Ford Fusion used, it's going to cost you about thirty six to 40000 hey eyes. I mean, and it's okay. Let me. This is that's another thing. While we're on this topic, that I have to explain because I speak to my mother every couple of weeks, sometimes every week. And whenever I talk to her about Brazil and we talk about prices, she always wants to ask me, "Mark, I don't understand hey eyes. Tell me what it is in dollars." And I says, "It doesn't matter what it is in dollars because we don't spend dollars here. The point is." The dollar has fluctuated over the last few years. I mean, it reached a high of like four hey eyes. One dollar was worth four hey eyes sometime last year, the year before. Now it's at about three ten because of the chaos between the uh, the the coup that just happened here last year and Trump becoming the president of the United States. The dollar has the value of the dollar has dropped. But what I'm saying here is that when the dollar is still worth three hey eyes, but on the other side of the coin, you earn far less money than you would in the United States. There's no comparison. I'm saying you could go, not that I eat McDonald's, and I'm not telling anybody to eat McDonald's, but it's just a perfect example. You go to McDonald's in the U.S. and you buy a meal, a burger, a fry, and a Coke or whatever, it's going to cost you 6 or $7, whereas in Brazil, it's going to cost you between 20 and 28 reais. Now, you could look and say, well, that's about three times the price, so what's the problem? The problem is that the average American earns about what, $48,000 a year, whereas the average Brazilian is probably earning about 1500 to 2000 hey eyes a year. That equals out to about, what, maybe $600 a month? They, we determine salaries here by month uh, rather than how much you earn per year. So if you're earning 1800 hey eyes and you go to McDonald's and you, you buy a meal for 24 hey eyes, you're, sp- you're spending significantly more of your money than you would if you were making $48,000 in the U.S. and spending $6 on a, on a McDonald's meal. So there, there's no comparison. That's why people ask me, that, 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 how does that work in dollars? It depends on the job that you have. If you have a good job and you're making eight, nine, ten thousand 10000 hey eyes, it might not affect you as much. But you go to a store in Sao Paulo – you can spend a hundred hey eyes. And people used to say this about Whole Foods. You know, you go to the Whole Foods market and it, you spend a hundred dollars and you walk out with you know six, seven, ten items. It's the same thing. In, it's it's the same thing in Sao Paulo. The the prices in this city are absolutely absurd. Wow. Context of white supremacy. Uh, why did you, as a black male, uh, why did you focus attention on black women uh, with your Black Women of Brazil website? Another very common question now, <clears throat> and I'll, I'll, I'll respond to that this way. 
Um, when I got into the studies of the racial issue in Brazil, what I noticed was that black women here are organizing. I mean, they are organizing. When you go on, uh, they have groups of black women bloggers. They have groups of black women uh, YouTubers. They have black women's organizations. This, they are black women are far more organized here as far as what their issues are than black men are. There, we need to organize more black men's group here because there can never really be a full struggle here until black men and black women are together. And there is a huge divide. It's. I, I, I struggle to say it's even worse than the divide between black men and black women in the United States. But that's the reason why I focused on black women, because these black women have their they, they just have a pulse on what's going on here. I'm not saying black men don't. I'm just saying that the black women are more organized about the issues. Um, and some people it, it gets into it, it brings a whole lot of other issues to the table, too. And some of these issues I don't necessarily agree with. I try to focus my blog more on the racial aspect because when we start delving into the whole black women's movement here, then you start dealing with transgenders. You start dealing with the gay movement. You start dealing with a whole lot of other things that come in and mix into the movement as one thing. And so I wanted to just focus on uh, the racial aspect of it and, you know, leave the other uh, issues with other people who wanted to write about that. I wanted to keep my, my blog focused on 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 uh on racial issues in brazil and another thing is that black women like in the united states they're on the bottom of the social pyramid so they face often triple discrimination they're black they're women and they're usually poor so to see the advancements that these these women are making these uh conferences that they're having throughout the country these um these uh seminars that they're throwing to get more black women to accept their natural hair because the black women are the ones who are going to be more discriminated against than, than black men. And I'm really just happy to see that these women are coming together this way. What I can just only hope is that in the future, we can build a movement that includes black men and black women, because if, if we don't solve this divide, I was speaking to a colleague from Sao Paulo. She's actually doing a PhD in Texas right now. And this is one of the things that we discuss is like, yeah, I love that black women are coming up. And they're organizing and they're recognizing themselves. They're making strides in the universities. They're 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 moving. They're leaving the bubble. They're they're creating their own. I love seeing that. But if there is no unity between the black men and the black women, I almost feel like the movement is lost. But in a nutshell, that's why I had I, I decided I needed to focus on the women because they are organized and they are moving it. Directly related to that point. Uh, this is an entry uh, from. August of 2015, uh, said black women of Brazil, uh, as more blacks develop pride in their natural hair, Brazil's racism continues its psychological oppression. Design student describes her ordeal with a university professor. I won't read the whole article. I'll just uh, read your note that's at the top. Uh, you write, as anyone who has read this blog for any amount of time must know by now, Brazilian society does not accept characteristics that remind it of its connection to Africa that includes dark skin, curly, kinky hair, and Afro-Brazilian religious practices. And since the and since the nearly four centuries of slavery and the 127 years since its abolition, the nation's non-black citizens continue to physically, verbally, and psychologically assault the Afro-Brazilian population. 
But in recent years, there's been a noted change in the ways that black Brazilians are dealing with these daily assaults. Whereas less than 20 years ago, persons with curly, kinky hair or cabela crespo often simply accepted verbal assaults or straightened their hair to avoid the turmoil. But nowadays, more of them are standing up and demanding to be respected as citizens and the human beings that they are. This attitude can be seen as a direct challenge to the aesthetics of white supremacy. The case below is simply the latest in a long history of racial oppression in Brazil. And this you uh, you share again, uh, transcribing, uh, putting it in English, uh, where a black Brazilian student, she talks about just being harassed and told to straighten her hair uh, and all of this just anti-black terrorism uh, in an academic setting. Uh, and you said this this sort of thing is unfortunately very common, just a part of the daily experience of white supremacy in Brazil. Oh, man. I mean, that that one article, it, it sums up. This is why I have to put things like this on the blog every day to make people aware, like, no, this is not one isolated incident. There's somebody probably hundreds, maybe thousands of people who go through this every day. So this is why sometimes I get people make comments on the blog. Like, why do you focus so much on racism? You know, why, why can't you talk about the good things about Brazil? And I always say, look, there's plenty of blogs on the air, on the net. Where if you want to read about wine in Brazil or cheese in Brazil or samba or football, whatever you want, you can go there and do that. But this blog is dedicated to experiences of black people. So that's why I have to stay focused. That's why every day I want to put something that's racial related on here so that the news gets out. I want African-Americans. I want people in the Caribbean to understand, like, look, we're all in this together. That's what my main point is. And. Brother, I wish I could get your voice to read all of my articles. You got a total radio voice for real. <laughs> <laughs> much obliged. Much obliged. <laughs> right on. Um, that and number one, that should stand out for a myriad of reasons. I think for black people, not just in the states uh, and black females, I think in particular worldwide, that you know is a, a very common trauma. Uh, if I'm remembering uh, the episode that happened in Pretoria uh, at the girls' high school where they said that they couldn't do afros or natural oh, hair. Oh, yeah, this I read about that. South Africa last year. I think they just, mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S., the Army, they just, I think, uh, said that, okay, we will release the band and allow black females to wear uh, cornrows if you're going to serve and sacrifice your life uh, for a country. I think this went on for years that they had mm-hmm. resisted just the daily assault uh, on the hair and, and beauty of, uh, of black females, black people in general. Um, is skin bleaching, is that an issue down in Brazil or no? <laughs> wow, that's an interesting question there. Um Skin bleaching, no. It's it's the reason why skin bleaching is not an issue here, and this is another sensitive topic that a lot of people still don't want to discuss. Um, when I get into the interracial discussion on my blog, it, it, it sometimes it, it steps on some toes because it touches on some realities that even quote unquote black consciousness people don't want to deal with. This whole ideal of whitening, uh, we can get into that later. But let's let me first discuss this this question you just asked. Um. There isn't there isn't a necessity for skin bleaching in here in Brazil because people already have it in their mind. Like, look, even if I don't like to admit I faced racial discrimination when I was growing up and how I felt and how people called me monkey and how it made me feel. People people are sensitized to that. People take that deep. You know, it it affects people's, you know, self-esteem, obviously. So rather than dealing with 
bleaching my skin, you know, people will straighten their hair, but bleaching their skin, they won't do that. They'll simply my generate my next generation of my offspring won't have to deal with this. That's why I'm going to go out and get me a white man or a white woman so that they can come out with lighter skin and pretty hair. So, yeah, Brazil would rather would rather bleach out the skin through miscegenation rather than going the route with the skin bleaching that we see so common in like Nigeria and Jamaica. It's 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 really when you dig into this issue and you go back to slavery to see where this whole thing started, it, it's very, it's blatantly obvious. Now, again, I don't, I don't maybe we can talk about this later on in the show, but one of the main issues that's affecting the black movement today is this divide between black men and black women. And I have a number of articles on the blog that discuss this whole issue of interracial relationships. I have to speak on this because what I see going on in Brazil now is what I see in the forecast of what's going to happen in the United States. They can undermine the black movement by mixing the races. It, it kind of it smoothens out that rage that black people might have if they had a more obviously black look. When, when I noticed that when you when you mix people and they have a more mixed ancestry, they have this tug of war within themselves where, well, I can't, you know, my father is white or my mother is black. So I'm kind of in the middle on this issue. And it kind of neutralizes the, how can we say, the, uh, the animosity that somebody might have because they're, they're stuck in this, this inner tug of war between the various races that make them a person. So uh, it's something that we have to deal with here because when we have this discussion with black men about why is it that so many uh, successful black men in this country are married to white women. And when I first became aware of this issue, and I have to go back on this because it blew my mind. When I first started studying Brazil in 2000, I met a guy in Salvador. Now, Salvador is in the Northeast. It's like the the African center of Brazil. It is, it, it, if they say, it's called Black Rome. The, the nickname of Salvador Bahia is like Black Rome. They say, if you never make it to Africa, the closest you're going to get is to go to Bahia because the culture of Africa, there's parts of, of Bahia where people speak Yoruba, Yoruba, they say, the Yoruba language. It has a strong influence on the religion. You find a lot more darker skinned black people in Bahia and in the north, northeast in general. But where I'm going with this is that when I first got into Brazil and I met this brother from uh, Salvador and this guy looked like he could have been one of the Marley <laughs> one of Bob Marley's sons. He had these long dreadlocks. He had light skin, but he looked like one of the Marley's. And, you know, we got to kicking it and, you know, he spoke really good English because at that time my Portuguese was I was still a beginner speaking Portuguese. And I was talking to him about Abagias do Nascimento. He's the guy I was telling you about at the beginning of the program who introduced me to Brazilian race studies because he blew my mind when I was reading his book. Like, wow, this is every African-American who wants to understand Brazil needs to read Nascimento's books. But the brother I was talking to says to me, like, yeah, I appreciate Nascimento, but I prefer Malcolm X because Malcolm X married a black woman. So I was kind of like, huh, what do you mean by that? And he was just like, well, you know, Nascimento married, not only did he marry a white woman, he married a white American woman who's like 40 years younger than he is. I mean, he stuck, I was stuck in my tracks because we were, we were walking down the street in Salvador, downtown having this conversation and I just like froze. I could not believe it. I'm like a black activist who speaks in such a militant tone. Of course, we're, you know, we've seen this throughout the years and some of our African scholars, some of our Caribbean scholars, some of our African-American scholars. So it's not like it's unheard of, but at that moment, it had never occurred to me that he could have been married to a white woman. It, it doesn't diminish his, his work because his contribution to the struggle of African Brazilians, you, you can't really learn 
the, the, the full range of the racial problem without studying Nascimento's work. But it just it, it just made me step back for a minute and, and analyze the situation. But here it is 15, 16 years later. And this is really an issue that black women have brought to the fore. Now, I first became aware of this issue in about 2005 or 2006, maybe. There's a popular singer here. His name is Jair, uh, Jair Oliveira. And his father was a popular musician who just died, I think, last year or the year before. But I, 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 I peeked in on this conversation on this black website. So, you know, by this time I'm reading Portuguese. And these black women are having this dialogue on the page talking about, uh, they go another one. All these black men want black, black, want white women. And I was just like, at the time, I was not living in Brazil. I was still reading, getting information online. I thought they were exaggerating. I'm like, it can't be what they're saying, because if you remember Spike Lee's movie Jungle Fever and that that whole scene where they, those six, six, seven, eight sisters were sitting in the room just blasting black men about dating white women. But in the United States, it's not quite there yet. You have pockets in areas of the United States where you do see a lot of black men dating white women. But what I'm saying is that when you come to Brazil and you study the situation, it's like, wow, you go to like conferences or seminars and you see these black men speaking so militantly of the racial oppression that they experience in this country and the racial issue. And almost all of them, I'm not going to say all of them, that's not fair to say, but a large percentage of them will have white wives. Now, this came to a head maybe three or four years ago when, okay, Brazil has one recently, well, it's been about 10, 12, 13, 14 years. They have the first specifically black university in Latin America. And that's here in Sao Paulo. But I went to a meeting during the Black Consciousness Month. It's basically Brazil's Black History Month, but it happens in November. And so during November, you have all of these different type of black oriented events, you know, whether it's talking about black capitalism or it's talking about black entrepreneurs or talking about black history or having pride, whatever it might be. I went to a particular seminar where three African-Americans were there and they sat in on the panel. And there were four Brazilians on the paddle. So they were going back and forth. There was a translator, you know, translating everything that everybody said. And it got to the point to there was a brother there. I, I won't even mention his name, but uh, he was speaking about his family. And I mean, his voice, he, the way he speaks is, is, is his voice. You just heard Malcolm X all in his voice, the way he spoke with such authority. You know, it's, it was like Malcolm X speaking in Portuguese. You know, I was impressed. He has a website. You know, I've been following his website for some years. I was impressed with some of the things that he was saying. But then he got to the point where he says, you know, the United States is different from Brazil. You know, in the United States, my, my kids would be considered black. And I was just like, at that point, I didn't know that he also was married to a white woman. So one of the African-American women who was on the panel, she heard that and she just lost it. I'm not going to say the sister's name because I was there. It was just a really it was a surreal moment. She got up. She, you know, all of the African-Americans on the panel, like, like turned and looked like what this militant, extreme militant brother is married to a white woman. She got up, took her microphone off and just like stormed out of the room. Now, a couple of days later on his blog, he blew it up on his blog like this rude African-American. You owe us an apology. And it was just like, brother. I understand how she might have come off here, but why is it that black men, this is a topic that black men in Brazil don't want to talk about. Black women have created a term in this country that's called palmitaging. It's called, you know, they call black men palmitos. They call them palmitagings. Now, palmitaging is basically, uh, 
if you go to a grocery store and you pick up a can of what's called uh, hearts of palm, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Um, but in Portuguese, it's called palmito. And it's, you know, it's, I don't like palmito, just, you know, I, it's not something that I like, but it, it's, it's very white. And white women or black women who say that black men have a fetish for white women, they call them palmitos because it's like you like this white skin. And so black women have pushed this issue to the forefront for the last three to four years. It's all over the blogosphere. I've covered a, you know, several articles on my blog talking about this. And the point is that we can never really talking about advancing this movement as long as there is this divide between black men and black women. Black women have a movement here that's called the solitude of the black woman. Because statistics show that black women take longer to find a lifelong partner. They, it takes them longer to get married. It takes them longer to have, well, children with a husband takes longer. And so this is an issue that they put on the forefront. And black men answer back with this issue of, with this, uh, this response that says love has no color. And it says, well, I'm saying if love has no color, how come every elite black man in this country has a white woman? Almost literally. There's another story on my blog talking about black executives in Sao Paulo. Now, black executives in Brazil as a whole only represent 5% of the top companies here. But in this one study, this one dissertation this guy wrote, he wasn't even focusing on interracial marriages. He, he was talking about the experiences of being black and an executive in a top company in Sao Paulo. But he found that of the 50 black men that were executives in Sao Paulo, 48 of them were married to white women. How do you explain that? And nobody wants to talk about it except black women. And then black women accuse them of just being haters. You know, you, you guys are you people are just mad. You know, it's almost like they've taken an attitude like get in where you fit in. I got the woman I'm happy with. Get one who you happy with. <laughs> right. Wow. That uh, prompted many thoughts. Number one, that sounds so familiar uh, to the United States. I think, Dr. Welsing, I just have to give racists uh, an A plus racist man, racist woman, racist child. Uh, and if anything, for me, it just it shows when we talk about a global system, um, we talk about having a code in place, racists having a code in place for how they maintain the global plantation. That's evidence right there uh when you can manufacture mm -hmm. the exact i mean predictable the exact same types of problems uh and in my opinion even engineer the exact same responses so that you know we'll have a system of white terrorism and we'll have black males and black females angry at each other blaming each other uh disorganized uh not working together at all in a complimentary uh manner just focusing mm -hmm. all of their blame and frustration on one another for their problems uh, when it's white people, racist man, racist woman, racist child that are organizing it all. And doesn't surprise me, again, you have a higher concentration of black people in Brazil than the U.S. So I would think things would probably be worse <laughs> since you have more Negroes to manage uh, and, you know, make sure everything is working out uh, in, in response to all of the detention uh, that sounds very familiar around uh, area eight sexual activity. Uh, you have one blog post in particular, uh, why do black women blame black men for wanting white women when they too worship <laughs> white men? We as black people have all been conditioned. Lengthy posts seem to generate a lot of comments and controversy. Um, mm -hmm. I'll just read one little paragraph. This is These are your words at the beginning, kind of mm -hmm. giving a preface where you write, I would like to make it clear that as new voices continue to chime in on this topic in recognition of the fact that black Brazilians have long been taught to appreciate and desire whiteness. 
the vast majority of Brazilians continue to deny something that is becoming increasingly obvious for those willing to analyze the issue. Romantic relationships are not formed simply based on the idea that people just fall in love. Color, class, education, financial interests, physical attraction, intelligence, and so many more topics play essential roles in the formation of such unions. And whether people want to believe or deny it, the role of social engineering also cannot be excluded from the discussion. Below, we bring you a very thought-provoking essay on this issue that arose after photos of the new love of singer Ludmila began circulating in social networks about a month ago. And then you get to the audio written by Fabio Esteban, uh, where he, uh, I guess, takes issue with people doing all of this, focusing on black males' attraction to white women and saying that they see the same uh, evidence of racism in black females' preference for white men. Mm-hmm. Let me let me let me chime in on that. Uh, dang, I just heard a, a click. Are you are you hearing me? Okay. Oh, crystal clear. Okay, I want to make sure I heard something drop out. Um, let me talk on that. Let me speak on that for a minute because this this is something that's becoming increasingly. Uh, black men are pushing back now, right? Um, and I've had this personal experience myself where I have dialogues with people on Facebook or I have personal conversations with people. And often I just get black men who just don't want to deal with the issue. Like, look, I love has no color. You know, I'm with this woman because this is the woman that I love. And they don't want to go any further into that. Now, what's happening now is that more and more black men are stepping up to the plate and saying, OK, let's talk about this issue, even though they are farly, they are far outnumbered by black women who want to have a discussion. But I, I have noticed this. And this is why I said I, I always when I'm on my blog, I want people to know, like, look, this is an open forum. If you have a piece that's going to address something here, you have space here because a lot of people were starting to accuse me of like, well, why are you protecting black women so much? Why are you running down black men? And it wasn't this. This was not the issue. The point was I posted a lot of those articles on my blog because black women were the ones who were talking about this issue of so many successful black men and even just regular everyday black men having this. I have to have a white woman attitude because it, some days here in Sao Paulo, depending on where you are, you swear you don't see any black couples. It's that serious. So when this brother wrote that article, I says, I have to put this. I have to make space for this, because if, if you look at that post, there is a long list of prominent black women who are married or dating or have children with white men. Now, I'm not directly saying that these women are directly fetishizing white white men, even though there's a there's another piece on the blog that says black women, black people in general. We need to get beyond this Prince Charming ideal that we all grew up with. But the point is, the issue goes back and forth. Black women say you black men are leaving us in the dirt. You're leaving us behind. Right. But then. So black women have a, a number of issues that they have to deal with if they want to have a long lasting relationship. So on the one hand, you have a lot of black women who have no racial consciousness. They grew up with white supremacy in their brain and they prefer white men, even though they don't admit it. Then you have the type like, well, I would prefer a black man, but they can't find one for whatever reason. Then you have the types that say, well, I have waited all my life for a black man. He never came along. So I'm going to take this white man who's been giving me all this, all of this attention. So this has been going on back and forth for several years now. And I wanted to post that piece just to, to show like, look, it is true. We are all black people living under white supremacy. It affects us the same way. 
even though it's slightly it's colored slightly different because of the gender the gender issue but i wanted to make sure that i had a little bit more balance here and there was a really thought-provoking piece that this brother sent to me it was probably about eight months ago he read an article by one of the black women talking about this idea of palmitaging and it made him think because this brother lives in finland he left rio to work on his phd in finland and he told his whole story of growing up in, in Rio. He was just like, look, in Rio is part of the culture. You're indoctrinated to appreciate white women and just treat white black women as friends or just leave them in the dirt. Or they're, they're going to be the ones who's who's going to spend the night with you. And then you're going to pretend like you don't know her the next day. He expanded on that. He was a brother who was willing to admit, like, look, I admit this now only because I have a certain consciousness now that I can look back and see how I was indoctrinated. And there are other black men who are speaking on this now. But the problem that I'm seeing and I this was a, I had this conversation so much black women. When you bring this issue up with so many black women married to white men, they don't want to deal with that issue. It's like the singer I was just you just quoted. Her name is Luigi Mila. And she's a very popular singer here. She uh, she started off on YouTube. Next thing you know, she got a recording deal. She had a big hit. Now she's making like a million hay eyes per month. She's getting paid. That's, that's cool. But when you see her relating to a man, the first guy that I saw her with was, was, was this white American guy. And I'm just like, I looked at her story. Then I looked at this top model. Her name is Laise Hibedo. Laise Hibedo, her boyfriend, she's a you know black girl. Her boyfriend is a white professional basketball player. He's American born. But he's not even in the, in the NBA. The last I saw, I think he's playing in Greece. And I'm just like, OK, you're a fashion model. You have access to the United States. If you wanted a basketball player, the NBA is like 80, 90 percent black there. How do you explain this woman right here? So black women will counter and say, well, she's a black woman who has no consciousness. I says, OK, but the black men you're pointing to as always, you know, uh, idolizing white women, most of those men are lacking in black consciousness also. So we have to have a balanced conversation here. That's that's the whole point of that last of that post you're speaking on. Wow. Con now. Context of white supremacy. Um, the uh, the author uh, who put this piece together, uh, he has a paragraph that I'll share really quick. Uh, he mm -hmm. writes uh, anyway, in order for the publication not to be long, what I have to say is that the black woman is a victim in this whole story. I'm not removing her from her own diligence. The Mulher Preta black woman does not seek the white man because she is abandoned by the black man. She searches for the Homan Bronco white man because she was taught by the media, the school and the family. She grows up personally and seeing on TV the black man connected to negative examples or of low perspectives. Uh, I think that is very common worldwide in terms of how we're going to be brain trashed into thinking about black people, black males and black females, uh, and then how we're going to be thinking of whites as saviors, angels, Prince Charming. As you said, that is a worldwide enterprise. Uh, what What is the uh, post where the black male, you said, I guess he grew up in Brazil and then he migrated to Finland and he just kind of opened up uh, truthfully talking about how he had been conditioned to mm -hmm. uh, be attracted to white women. What's what's the name? Mm -hmm. Or do you remember that post? Oh, man. Let me see if I can find it right quick. Uh, the, the, the interesting thing is that this brother, he God, his story was amazing because first he sent me an email. You know, he, he read a post on the blog and then he got in contact with me through, I think, first through Twitter. Then I sent him the email address and we corresponded through email for a while. And he says, you know, that post made me really dig deep and understand 
what influenced some of my choices in my life. And he says, you know, I'm working on my PhD right now, but when I get some time, I definitely want to put my thoughts on paper. So it was about six, seven, eight months went by. And I just thought he, well, well, he don't have time. He forgot about it. But I think it was sometime in November or December where he posted it. He was like, this is the article that I came up with. He was like, I want you to read this and tell me what you think. I was like, this is something, this is an article that all black men in Brazil needs, need to read. Because he he dug into that. He was willing to admit his influences. He's not the only one. There was another brother who made a post on Facebook a couple of years ago. And he said the same thing. He says, look, I am married to a white woman. I do have a mixed child and I, I can't leave. You know, I, this is the woman I chose. I have a family now. But I admit that if I had the consciousness 20 years ago, 10 years ago that I have now, I probably would not have married this woman. So these brothers are reaching a point where they're reaching a certain point of consciousness where they realize they have been indoctrinated by the system and not realizing it. And by the time they realize it, they're already married to someone who's not black. So I think this conversation needs to be had. And another thing I just want to put out here, because I don't want people to think that this I'm not being I want this to be a balanced conversation. Um, uh, what is it that? Uh, Ah, what is this? this uh, God, because this sister has sent me an email a few days ago and she was explaining where she was coming. Oh, this is what it is. A lot of black women in Brazil talk about not only being they've been in situations where they had children with black men who abandoned them. They end up marrying a white woman. They had brothers who they dated for a while and the brother tell them like, well, I'm not, you know, I don't really want a serious relationship. But then a couple months later, after they stop seeing each other, he's ready to marry this white woman. Then there's just countless stories of black women who talk about being not only just mentally abused, uh, you know, taken, take being taken for granted. Some of them have been physically abused. Some of them have been raped by black men. I can't tell this story without telling that story because it, it, it's, 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 it's an important piece to the puzzle that we have to study and black men want to deny that this exists. So this is what I, I want to bring this to the to the forefront from both sides of the issue. So it's not just black men saying one thing and black women saying one thing. I'm saying both sides are guilty in some kind of way. Um, now, let me find this article that I was talking about, because the brother is in Finland and he grew up in Rio. So I, his story just really stuck to me. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Uh, okay, the, the name of the article is Palmitaging Exist. I am an example. Black man reflects on growing up in Rio and how the culture and racial hierarchy influences the adoration of white girls. If you if you if you go to the blog and use the, the search tool and just punch in Finland. The second article that's going to come up is called Palmitaging Exist. This brother is exi- he's he's admitting like, yeah, this culture influenced me to adore white women. He's he's telling you this. Wow. 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 I'm going to post it on our <clears throat> Facebook page uh, so that mm-hmm. people I'll post it. I'll, I'll post it on Facebook and Twitter so that people can access it, uh, share their thoughts uh, on that piece as well. Um, if you have questions you would like to ask Marquise about the site, things we've been talking about, feel free to chime in. The number 641-715-3640. And the code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 61. We'll get your hand. I'll see your hand on the switchboard and we can uh, add you to the line. If you have questions, you should take advantage uh, to ask 
someone joining us live from South America, first time on the cows. Um, before, uh, and I'm going to get that post uh, to share as well, but before I get to our callers, I did want to give you a chance to share because it comes up all the time. It almost feels like one of the more popular talking points when people uh, address racism in the U.S., a significant portion of people, they say that they think uh, where things are going to be headed in the U.S. is mm-hmm. that racism, the daily operations of racism, white supremacy will look more like the way things look in Brazil. And mm-hmm. a lot of times one of the key points that they will talk about is uh, they think that there will be a lot more sexual activity uh, so that you have more people who look racially ambiguous so that you have mm-hmm. a lot more racial classifications. And so there's just more confusion so that they can say, Oh, what are you talking about? We're all just a big jumble and, and there's no race. They think that that's going to be one mm-hmm. of the components, but as someone mm-hmm. who's lived in both spots, what, what is your take on that? That's exactly where I see things going. And it, what I love about this is, like I said, I have a number of Brazilian friends who, I'm really digging this because over the last decade, because of the affirmative action, so many black people here have had a chance to move into the university world where 20, 30 years ago, going to college was like an impossible dream for so many black people. And you're seeing this consciousness growing. It's it's almost because you're having access to being able to study and see the world in a different way that so many people in the general population are starting to understand how things work in Brazil. And then they get a, a, a completely rude awakening when they go to the U.S. I, I find it intriguing when you speak to a black Brazilian who has grown up in Brazil versus a black Brazilian who grew up in Brazil and then spent time in the United States. You see a sh- a, a, a distinctly different, a distinct difference in their attitude. You, if if you spend enough time with these people, it's just like you are from Brazil, but you are. The, racial politics in America has completely changed how you are because it's like to me, it's it's very obvious when you meet someone who's who's had a lot of contact with African American culture. Uh, there's a lot of people here who want to do like college exchange programs in the U.S. because they see. A certain they uh, this is something that I've had to speak to a lot of my friends about because they still look at the United States black Americans as wow you guys did it why why can't we be more like African Americans and it's like this paradise and I have to bring them back to reality like look everything you love about Martin Luther King Martin Luther King is praised here among the black community they look at him almost like a saint in the same way they look at Nelson Mandela and I have to bust a bubble like look the civil rights movement failed okay. African-Americans as a whole, we're not doing too good. I mean, we are doing better than black Brazilians because the economy of the United States is obviously much bigger than that in Brazil. But it's not this paradise where you think it is. And a lot of people get that rude awakening when they go to the United States. Now, speaking on this whole idea of that's where we're going, there's a, a few authors who have actually spoken on that. And because I live here and I've been studying it, that's exactly where I see it going. They want to. If you go back to the 1920s, and I can pull up some literature that talks about this, this has been in the planning for a long time to push racial integration in the United States. They knew because British colonization was different from the Portuguese colonization that it wouldn't come overnight. But they've been writing about this over the last 100 years. That's what the whole Martin Luther King movement was about, whether people want to admit it or not. If we go back to that movement, there were a lot of black women who were saying, like, look, Civil rights is not about this. This is about black men having access to white women. That's one of the underlying forces that was happening in the civil rights movement that people didn't want to talk about, along with the the underlying gay issue that was going on there. But I definitely see that going. I'm wondering, 
this is something I actually wanted to write a dissertation about. I wanted to know, with the rise in black consciousness, will this stimulate more black-on-black couples in Brazil? Because it's, it's a concept that people don't get. It's like some, I don't have to explain this to African-Americans. Most African-Americans from my generation, we're talking like, you know, who grew up in the, the late 70s or the early 80s, people get this. In Brazil, it's like, how do you not get, you want to talk about, now in Brazil, black activists are talking about the concept of black money. We need to spend black money. We need to support black people who have businesses. But I'm just like, I love that idea. That's a great, you know, concept. A, a lot of people, some people are starting to study Claude, Claude, the work of Claude Anderson here. That's great. But my point is, the first point in having black unity is having black men, black women, and black children. And when you have this conversation with black men who are in the universities, who have college degrees, who have good jobs, it's just, it's not important to them. It's like, how can you not see that? It, I'm, that's something that I, I really want to just expand my argument on this, because what happens is, when you look at black history in Brazil, so many prominent figures from 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, when you look at their families now, they're completely white or they're people who consider themselves white who are not quite white. So it's like it's, it's a steady process of, OK, I'm the first black person to get into the university. OK, cool. But if you went to the university, you acquired this knowledge, you got a good job, you earned some good money. That's great. But if you're married to a white person in a majority white atmosphere, you raise this mixed child, that white child is going to grow up in a white atmosphere. And most likely because you're married to a white person, you're not going to teach that white that mixed child. You need to marry a black person because you're married to a white partner. So this is a process that keeps going on in Brazil and nobody wants to talk about it. So if you think about it. They can undermine the black movement by by blurring the lines between black and white people. And that's exactly what I see going on in the United States now. I have friends, I, th three of my childhood friends that I grew up with are living in Arizona right now. And they tell me, like, dude, it, it's, it's, it's another world out here. I mean, we talk about Florida. We talk about Arizona. We talk about California. That's what I see in the future. And my question for that is I already see the, the effects of this in Brazil. My question is what? Where are we going now, black America? Because I already see the future. And if that's where you're going, we can call it a wrap. Context of white supremacy. Uh, no sex with white people. Very important <laughs> aspect of counter racism code, in my opinion. Uh, folks can come to their own conclusion about that. Uh, we'll see if we can nab some of our uh, callers as we move down. I even see a few callers from Detroit. How about that? Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Thomas in New York. Did you have a question for Marquise, founder of the Black Women of Brazil website? Hi, Ron. Thank you for having the show, Gus. Um, and thank you, sir, for your website. Um, I've, I've um, come to the, um, the realization that I see a lot of black males move to Brazil. Oh, but man. it seems like they're... Um, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, it seems like they're um, there to look for more of the, the mixed race black women. Um, do you see that happening a lot? Man, let, let me touch on that because um, I, I don't want to go too deep off into that because that could be a whole nother show. Because I noticed on YouTube a few years ago, there's a brother who created this uh, quasi documentary called Frustrated. And 
it, it, it followed along the lines of a number of articles that came out starting in about 2006, 2007, where people were talking about black men have discovered Brazil and they're flocking to Brazil, you know, looking for, you know, a certain type of woman that they can never have access to in the United States. Now, we all know a lot of black men won't admit this. Of course, we had a movement where black men were more appreciating darker skinned black women. But I think deep down inside, a lot of black men do have a fetish for this lighter skinned type woman. Now, my whole thing is. I see a lot of brothers coming here from all parts of the world and they come in here and they meeting these Brazilian women. Some of them are, I just had a situation the other day where a Nigerian brother came here, made a baby with this almost white woman. And then he went back to Nigeria, just left them hanging. So I do see a lot of African-American men coming here. I haven't, my experience has not been enough to come to a conclusion about what their actual uh, objectives are. I hope that brothers are coming here. Dad, let me put you know, there's a sister here from Chicago and she's a journalist and she she covered the Olympics. And we had this conversation like it seems like black men are starting to push black American women to the side to try to get this something else in another country. And she she looked at some of the material on my blog. She was like, I hope you're not a brother that's supporting. And I'm like, no, I don't see this as an answer. We all need to heal our communities, whether it's in Brazil or the United States, Dominican Republic, wherever it is. I don't think black men coming to Brazil is the solution to our problems because we have the same problems here. And in some ways it's worse because that's another question that I have. If black men are starting to look towards women in Brazil, some of whom don't have racial consciousness, it means you're going to get with this woman who doesn't look at blackness in the same way that you do. So does that mean that you're going to throw away your whole racial identity to get with this woman in Brazil who was raised that way? Or are you going to try to make her come over to your side of how we look at race in the United States? Because Brazil has a way of trying to diminish that racial conflict, even though it's theirs, like the elephant in the room. Which way, black people? That's my question. I got you. I um... Yeah, I totally um, agree with you. Um, my second question for you is because um, you said earlier that um, you have some black people in Brazil who um, they consider themselves to be white. Mm-hmm. Um, is that legally, um, they're legally able to do that or is that just something in their mind? Man, excellent question. It's excellent. Let me, let me touch on that. I am, a, okay, I grew up. Like I said, my people are from Georgia, but I grew up in Detroit. So I'm accustomed to all types of different black people from high yellow to, you know, blue, black. We call it purple, black. Some people say, you know, uh, brown paper bag, brown, regular brown, whatever you want to call it. So I'm accustomed to all different types of black people. But here in Brazil, like I said, what we call in branquecimento, it means in English, it means whitening the ideology that you should want to whiten your offspring so that they can have a better life. So black people, a lot of black people here look to have children with whiter people. Now, I've lost track on how many people I meet, not only in Sao Paulo, but also in Salvador, other parts of the country where in my mind, these people have light skin, but they have clearly black features. I'm talking like like Tom Joyner, like, yeah, he's high yellow, but you just see the blackness in his face and they'll look at you like with a straight face. Like, yeah, I always can. I'm white. And I'm just like, okay, look, I can't tell you what your racial identity is, but in the United States, people would just consider you a light skinned black person. Now to add to that, when children are born in Brazil, this is something that in my day, this could never happen in the United States. If you have black parents or even one black parent, you were classified as black in the U S in Brazil. If you have one white parent, 
you can be classified on your birth certificate as white. I, there's a category here that's called pardu. Pardu means brown or it means mixed. It can mean any mixture of different races. There's people here who have the skin color of Michael Jordan and they have mixed or pardu on their birth certificate. So the 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 how can we say the measuring stick for whiteness is much bigger here because everybody wants to fit into a lighter category. So it's not about being legal because some people are born with one racial category on their birth certificate. And as they grow up, they might identify themselves as black or they might consider to, quote unquote, pass as white. So I, I, it, it's not about the legality about it. It's, it's, it's the point of people prefer to have a whiter classification if it is possible. And even if you have certain African characteristics in your face and you have a certain kink to your hair, people will still push you. Well, you know, if you straighten your hair, you can be white. So why don't you just straighten your hair? I have stories in this family that I'm in right now where the girl, she, you know, I grew up around light skinned people and my mother, you know, I know black when I see it and she, 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 she just sees herself as white. And it's just like, I have to laugh. I'm never going to confront her on her racial identity because that's her choice. But at the same time, it's like, wow, this is why I say sometimes Brazil racism, Racism is much more effective here. Um, yeah, well, um, well, let me um, just reword that. Uh, the people who are, are obviously uh, will be a light-skinned black in America, but they um, walk around Brazil and carry themselves and, and, I guess, act as if they're white. Are the white people accepting them as white? Man, that's a tripped-out question. Um, here's the thing. If you're a light-skinned black person, you have kinky hair, but you straighten it. If you have characteristics and manners that are associated with whiteness, they will give you a pass. They'll push you into the white category, even though they can look at you and say, well, we know he's not quite or she's not quite white. What's going to happen is that if you identify too much with your blackness, you bring up affirmative action. You talk about there's no black people on TV or something like that. Then they're going to throw up that the fact that you have what's called a foot in the kitchen. And when people say you have a foot in the kitchen here, they're saying, look, you have light skin, but we know you have African ancestry and you need to recognize your place. So what I'm saying is if you act a certain way, carry yourself a certain way and make it clear that you want to pass. Some white people will accept you into their circle, even knowing that you have partial African ancestry. And my very last question, Gus, thank you for letting me get these questions in. Is, um, do you think that you um, being an American and knowing that um, you know financially you are having hardships or, or uh, in Brazil and it's a lot different here, um, you have opportunity to make a lot more money. Are you mm -hmm. thinking of ever um, taking your kids and your girlfriend or wife and moving to America back to back to the D or to Atlanta or wherever? And I'll meet my line. Thank you, Gus. Man, another excellent question. It's something living here is something and now having children, it's a it's, it's a whole nother issue I have to deal with because we think in black America that we have such a lack of uh representation on television and you know our cartoons and dolls for our children to look to. The situation is ultimate just beyond worse in Brazil. There's no black representation. There was a study a few months ago that showed that in online Brazilian toy stores, black dolls only represent three percent. So when you go to the store to buy something for your kids, they're always going to have white figures on the cover. And that's not only because Brazil enforces whiteness on all of their television shows, but Brazil is such a colony of the United States that all of the popular images that come from the movies and the TV series from the United States comes here. So they're getting hit twice with whiteness here. And 
because what we call cordiality in Brazil, people, a lot of people have a fear of coming out as being too militant. I, there's some ways, some people call me being radical, and I'm like, because of the history I have in the United States, I know what black radical, the black radical tradition is, and I'm like, I've never come across that way, even though my views can be radical. I try to fit in, you know. Um, but the problem here is I don't, in some ways, I don't want my children raised in this, because when you put your kids in the school, there is almost no pushback. You're expected to just blend into the whiteness. You're expected to want to be white. You're expected to idolize whiteness. You're not you're not expected to speak up for black people. And I, I don't really want my children growing up that way because there is no structure here. When when you go to events in South Paulo, the only time I, I'm used to going to places in Detroit where I see all black people. The only time I can get that in Sao Paulo is if there is a specific black event because the neighborhood, there's no all black neighborhood. Well, you know, region in Sao Paulo is always going to be more of a mix. Even in the poor neighborhoods, you're going to have white people there, people who think they're white, light skinned, black, dark skinned, black, everything. So I am having an issue with that now that I have children because there's no pushback here. This is why I say it's a small minority of activists who are trying to, you know, push this discourse of saying, look, we're black people and we exist and we want our piece of the pie. But it's very small. The, the movement here is still growing. But I, it is a, an issue for me because I don't know if I want my children growing up in that, you know, growing up, just accepting whiteness as superiority. It's, it's hard enough in the United States and it's infinitely worse here. Appreciate that, Thomas, in New York. Uh, caller at 7722. 7722, did you have a question for Marquise, founder of the Black Women of Brazil website? Yes, uh, greetings to the host and to the guest. Uh, I have really enjoyed your website over the past maybe eight months or so. I, I found it, I think, first with the article um, about the, I can't pronounce her name, Sister Nayara Justino. Mm -hmm. I believe that's why I first saw the article mm -hmm. and um, kind of found your website. Uh, the couple of questions that I had were as follows. It kind of touched on it on the last piece. When you look up the CIA and the, and the Wikipedia as far as the demographics of Brazil, they say that there's only 7% classify themselves as black. <laughs> and you kind of touched on it when, when we know that there's millions, and that's been known throughout the diaspora, there were millions of African people in Brazil. But where, why, where is this part of this brown, this... 43% and how is this affecting as far as the racial classifications just when people say there's only 7% black what, what are they trying to do there well I mean what are they doing there man I'm glad somebody brought that up because that's another topic I wanted to discuss the idea of classification and identity here's the thing there are a lot of white people here who want the black population to be diminished to only black, uh, to only that seven or eight percent that you're talking about, because those are the people who choose the category preto. Preto means black. OK, now the difference that you're talking about is the term pardo can be loosely translated as brown or mixed. But what happened is that over 30, 40 years ago, the movement, the black movement here discovered that when you look at social economic statistics here, what you call black and brown are almost exactly identical in every quality of life vis-a-vis -vis the white population and in terms of disadvantages in comparison to white people. So they came up with the idea that says, look, the blacks and browns here constitute the black population. But there is a, 
I cannot deny that there is a problem with that because outside of Brazil, even inside Brazil, the, the movement, the movement here has said, look, black Brazil has the largest black population outside of Africa. But when African-Americans come here, they might be in for a bit of a surprise. It depends on what you constitute as black, because on the one hand, if you only constitute people who are, say, the color of a Denzel Washington, <clears throat> then it's clearly not going to be 54 percent black here because a lot of those black people, let's say, is 105 million black people here. But if you're a person who says, look, we don't classify mixed as black, then it's not going to be 54 percent black. It's only going to be those 7 percent who consider themselves abs- and define themselves absolutely as black rather than pardo. So. Both. This is a war going on. Like, okay, which side do you go with? Do you go with the person who has light skin and loosely curly hair who identifies as black versus the black person who has brown skin but does not identify as black? So it's 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 not an easy question to deal with. Uh, you do, do you prefer to go by racial classification by what people define other people as, or is personal identity more important? So. I can go both ways. I mean, if we're talking about just African ancestry, it does have the largest black population outside of Brazil. But then the problem with mixing in the Pardo group is that the Pardo group includes a lot of light skinned people. Now, the problem with that is if you have a beauty contest here, what happens if all of the women in the black beauty contest all have light skin? They all look like uh, what Maya or. Vanessa Williams or, you know, a a, a light skinned African-American. And what happens if these women continuously are accepted as the standard for black beauty? That's the problem with the classification with all blacks and browns being under the category of blackness. It it depends on how you look at it. I I clearly say it's far more than eight percent, but it's really hard to say because. What you consider black and what that person considers black could be completely different. And then we're not even looking at the white aspect. A lot of the white people, 48 percent of white Brazilians are considered classify themselves as white in this country, 42, 43 percent, 48, whatever it is. And a lot of those white people would never pass as white in the United States. They might pass as white in, in Brazil and in Latin America in general. So. I, can, I don't think we can actually have a complete concept of what the percentages are of race in Brazil, because it's, it all depends on the eye of the beholder. Thank you. Thank you. I had one, one more quick question, mm-hmm. uh, observation and question. I noticed that you used the phrase periphery um, neighborhoods in one of your articles. I think that's on the homepage speaking about mm-hmm. a black man spotted on a beach. We hear a lot of when, especially when, when Rio was, the Olympics were happening, we hear a lot of the phrase and Americans, um, specifically white people in this part of the world, love to use the word favela when they're describing the neighborhoods um, outside the, the, the suburbs, what we would call ghettos. Can you kind of help us understand what are the favelas and what is the racial makeup of the people that stay there and kind of a brief, like how, how did they come to exist? Okay. Um, you okay? I I want to recommend. I don't know if you ever saw this film called uh in, in Portuguese it's called uh, Cidade de Deus, but in English it was translated as City of God. Uh, yeah, when okay, great. Um, that that's a really good story there, where black people were basically after slavery, black people were pushed out of the urban centers of Brazil and in every city in this country because the white elites. When they had foreigners coming to Brazil and they wanted to construct what they call a progressive country. 
they could not deal with having the presence of so many black people in the main parts of the city. So these black people got pushed out of this. I don't mean, okay, in the United States, when we say suburbs, like, for example, I grew up in Detroit, but when we talk about suburbs in Detroit, we're talking about cities on the outside regions of the of the metropolitan area. Um, they're, comp- they're different cities that are part of the metropolitan area of the major city. But when we say periphery in Brazil, it means neighborhoods that on that are on the outskirts of the, the, the major part of the city. So what I'm saying is that the further for in, in Sao Paulo, for example, downtown is where all of the action is. Or there are p- certain regions of the city where there's a lot of money, there's middle class and then there's lower classes. But the further out you go out from the downtown, the more you get into what's called the periphery, what we call the favela. Some people call them, you know, just communities. But these areas are where people have less access to shopping centers. They have less access to banks. Some people have problems getting you know, just regular running water. So the periphery is the further away you get from the downtown of the city. And these areas obviously are set up according to economics. The, the, prime, the, uh, the, the, the population of the periphery is majority black. But different from the United States where you can have a black ghetto and a white ghetto, the peripheries in Sao Paulo or Rio or any other major city in Brazil can be mixed, although primarily black. You know, you talk about favelas and periphery. We're talking 60, 70 and sometimes 80 percent of these peripheries can be all black people. Wow. Thank you very much. I'll take my call off my thank you. All right. Appreciate that. Think one of our callers from the Michigan area. Uh, did you have a question for Marquis? She should be with us. Good evening, Mab. You heard? Yes, ma'am. Uh, good evening. Um, yes, I'm from Michigan, Detroit, and wow, I'm excited that I was able to join in um, and listen to the call tonight. I do have um, two questions. The first one, uh, you. I, I was. I don't know if you talked about this. I did join a little late, but what is the relationship between um, the police and the blacks and non-whites in your area? Like, um, is there also a presence of like Black Lives Matter? Is there a lot of police brutality um, in your area? Just didn't know if you talked about that, but just kind of curious since there is a, a majority non-white in Brazil. I'm glad you brought that up. We hadn't discussed that yet. But let me just say this. Um, African-Americans, even though we have a long experience with police brutality, I, me personally, I have to say I have never seen such police oppression as I've seen when I came to Brazil because the numbers are just astonishing. I have one article that says it shows that police in Brazil kill six times more people than uh, the brutal police in the United States. Imagine that six times. So what I'm saying is that there is a demographic that says uh, young blacks between the ages of 15 and 29, they're like 70 to 70. Well, I think it was 77 percent of the, uh, the main victims of homicide in this country. Right. So it's it's I, I lived in Detroit. We have a history of police brutality, but I never felt such a presence, such a uh, an idea of walking down the street and I can be just shot for no reason from even from from being black and being associated with, oh, he stole something or or uh, being in the middle of a, a police shootout and catching a straight bullet. I have countless stories on the blog of just innocent black people being shot from a straight bullet between this this drug war that's going on between police, the, the military police in here and the favela. The, and it's 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 horrific because 
studies have shown that less than 1% of the favelas actually have drug traffickers. So it was like 1% of the population, but every day somebody's dying from a stray police bullet. One of the most shocking stories I saw, I mean, this story will bring tears to the eyes. If you see it, I, several stories I have about this one that I'm telling you. Um, I don't remember. It was 2013 or 2014. The lady's name was uh, Claudia Fejeda, and she was a poor black woman. She had like four or five kids, and she was just going to a store. I think she was buying bread, and she was either she was going to the store or she was coming back, and she caught a stray bullet from a military police officer. Man, the the police officers, they are uh, notorious for covering up their crimes. So they shoot somebody, somebody drops to the ground, they'll put a gun in the person's hand and make sure, make it look like they shot first. Or they'll just grab the body and do something with the body to make it look like they're innocent or whatever. This particular case, the woman's body fell to the ground. They picked her body up and threw her in the trunk of the police van. And then they started driving down the street, not realizing that her body had fallen out of the back of the truck. And they were dragging her body from the back of the truck for like, I think, maybe 10 meters. It was one of the most horrific things I have ever seen. It, it, it made the black movement here was just completely outraged because it was caught on video. So it was the same thing kind of like when we said 20, 30 years ago, like police brutality has been existing in black communities for, for forever. But now we have video cameras so we can actually see what's happening. So there's no comparison between just Sao Paulo and Rio. I did a report some years ago that showed just, just between Rio and Sao Paulo, the police in Brazil killed more people on the whole than the entire police department of the United States in a period of 20 years. So there is no comparison. It's, it's just off the chart police murder in this country. Wow. wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Wow. Well, my next question, and I, I you, you pretty, um, you, you, you shared a lot about the interracial marriages and relationships uh, that take place there, which definitely um, adds to the confusion mm-hmm. of racism and white supremacy. So uh, my question to you is, just in your experience, um, who do you think is most confused? about racism, white supremacy, white people or non-white people in Brazil? Wow, most confused. Um, you, you know, the thing about this is that I, I get the feeling that white people know that they have a prominent position in this country. The, the thing about white people in this country is that they will be openly racist and they just don't like being caught being openly racist. I have a, a number of articles where you see white people you know, they call a black person a monkey or just some sort of racial insult. And when they get caught, that's when that's when they want to throw a jacket on top of their head. So what I'm saying is white people know a lot of people, black and white, are living in denial in this country because nobody wants to be compared to the United States throughout academic studies dating back to the 1940s. Brazil has always had the upper hand as far as image. And the idea of racial harmony and nobody wants to break that. It's like an unspoken rule. Like we don't we're all equal. I I attack that slogan so much because black people, it it amazes me how many black people, famous black people, average black people in the moment that they face discrimination. The first thing that will come out of their mouths is somos todos iguais, which means we're all equal. Okay, but this person just called you a monkey. Why are you saying we're all equal? It's almost like there is a fear of militancy here. That's the problem. That's what I see here. So I have to say 
both black and white Brazilians know that white supremacy exists here, but it's like nobody wants to break the code of silence. And the, I have to be impressed with the black movement of the last 20 to 30 years who have pushed this issue to the forefront where people can't deny it anymore. Well, thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm glad mm. I was again able to um, listen to the call. How can we follow you on Facebook or is there a way you can post that on the Facebook page? Yeah, I do. I do have a Facebook page. Uh, if you just go to Facebook okay. and punch in Black Women of Brazil, or you can just go to the site. Now, for, I have to point this out to people because some years ago, I lost the name to my blog. It was actually BlackWomenOfBrazil.com. But one day, you know, I had I, I didn't I lost the name a few years ago. I had to start over from scratch. So now it's BlackWomenOfBrazil.co. Okay. Thank you very All much. Right. I will mute my line. Thank you. We are uh, sharing the Facebook page uh, right now so people can join the Facebook group. Uh, it is linked on the, the website. So if you go to the website, you'll see the little tag on the right side of the page and you can access it that way. But we'll post the Facebook uh, group as well so you can have it both ways. Uh, mm -hmm. The person, uh, this is Roz. Did you have a question uh, for Marquise? You should be with us. Uh, greetings to you, Gus, and um, greetings to you, uh, Mr. Marquise. Thank you very much for being on the show. Um, it's really great to, to hear what you have to say. Um, my first question is, have you ever seen a documentary called Black in Latin America? Um, and there was a, one specifically on Brazil done by Henry Louis Gates. Sure, of course. I mean, you know, it, being into the Brazil thing, I, you know, I've, I've looked at it from the street level and the academic level. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of... Um, I have a kind of I don't know how to explain the relationship I have with Henry Louis Gates. It's like you have to you have to respect his work on the one hand. But at the same time, there's certain things about mainstream docu documentaries that are just not going to touch on deep issues. Uh, they, they, they're, I, I like that documentary. I can't say that I, you know, I didn't like it, but this I would I think I would approach that documentary in a different way than Henry Louis Gates uh, touched on it. How, how can you I'm seeing how looking at how they're trying to promote this idea in the United States of being post-racial and trying to promote more mixture. So Henry Louis Gates can go to Brazil and talk about all these different shades of blackness, light skin, brown skin, caramel skin, dark skin, whatever you want to call it. But he never addresses the issue of why there's such a rainbow of colors and phenotypes in this country. And it's based on white supremacy because from the time of slavery here, black people have been indoctrinated. Look, you don't want to have black kids. You need to have lighter kids. Eventually your kids can become white. If you mix enough, how can you approach that fact of miscegenation in Brazil without looking at the origins of why it is happening the way that it is without, you know, looking at the, the, the power structure of that, the it always keeps white people in a safe position in their whiteness because black people, if they don't come to that level of consciousness, they're going to continue to whiten into the point like, OK, how many black people are left in this country? Thank you for that answer. That's exactly the way I felt about a, quite quite a bit of his work. But I totally understand everything you said makes perfect sense. Mm. Um, my mm. next question is, um, I'm a person of Trinidadian descent. So I'm very familiar with Brazil itself. Um, wow. And just I have the, I noticed just growing up amongst Caribbean people who speak Spanish and English speaking Caribbean people, there's a vast difference between, um, in my opinion, between how uh, 
English speaking black people understand racism, white supremacy versus Spanish speaking people and their understanding of racism. And you mm -hmm. said earlier that racism, in your opinion, was more effective in Brazil. I was mm -hmm. going to ask you what, in your opinion, makes it more effective? I, I would ask, just posit, would you say that it has to do with the wholesale propagation of miscegenation of the population? coupled with these myriad of racial categories that makes it more successful because i can coming from trinidad if you're black you're black no matter what shade you are just like in america versus with the spanish-speaking countries they all have these ten thousand categories thank mm -hmm. you and mm -hmm. i have one more question after that that's exactly how i see it it's it, the spanish and the portuguese they came with this concept of mixing it, it's almost it, okay let me here's one thing that i want to touch on because I read this book 20, 25 years ago. It was one of the books that led me to my awakening. You know, everybody, black people come into this certain uh, awakening at some point in their lives in, in, in the black struggle. But I had to revisit this when I read uh, Chancellor Williams, The Destruction of Black Civilization. I read that in the 90s. But you know how sometimes you read a book and sometimes you miss things. Sometimes you don't focus on something. And after years, you kind of forget it. But it came to my attention again where I needed to read that book again because of something some people were saying on YouTube. And when I got to the section about the mulatto in that Chancellor Williams book, I was like, wow, this explains Brazil perfectly. They who I already have an idea who created this idea of mixing the people, mixing the races. I already have an idea who's behind all of this. But it is exactly what keeps black people in this place here. It, when you have so many different phenotypes and you have so many people that continue to perch whiteness at the top of the hierarchy, some people are just like, I'm not dealing with you, Negroes. I'm trying to whiten myself. I mean, there, there's, there's studies out here that just tells us, like, look, there was a woman that I was talking to a few years ago, and she was telling me about a family, a black family here. And the mother was a dark skinned black woman who had a child with a white man. Her daughter came out, you know, with the mixed look, loose or curly hair. And she indoctrinated her daughter to marry a white man. You got to marry a white man. You, we have to whiten the family. I mean, blatantly, her daughter went to Italy and married a black immigrant from Africa. So when she came back to her to Brazil, her mother was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did this. Everything I did to try to whiten the family and you come back and you 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 regress to go back to Africa. I mean, she was livid that her life's work of whitening the family had went down the drain. So, yeah, miscegenation to me. Hey, if, if that's something that you want to. OK, here's my thing. If you want to believe love has no color and you're going that way that says I'm going to marry who I fall in love with or however you see it, that's fine. But in the context of Brazil, where the actual stated goal was to mix the population into whiteness after 100 years, it didn't actually work. But it's, it's an ongoing process. So under that context, you cannot literally be 100 percent committed to the black movement if you don't see the problem with miscegenation and two generations of your family and everything you earn going back to the white community. There's only a few black Brazilians that I've spoken to who are starting to get to that point of understanding. Thank you so much. And I think um, Brazil has per per perfected the, that whole process as far as what you were just saying, this kind of leads into my, what you said just leads into my next question. I was mm -hmm. going to ask, what is the anti-blacklist like in Brazil as exhibited by so-called mm -hmm. mixed race black people versus white, white, Brazil, white Brazilians? The reason I ask is when you brought up the issue of police brutality, which I'm well aware of in that part of the world, the vast majority of these police officers that are killing uh, black people, a lot of black males specifically, are um, basically lighter-skinned Brazilian people. I don't see many white officers, so I just wanted to know 
how is it, would you say that the, um, that buffer class is more abusive towards the dark-skinned Brazilians than the white Brazilians, according to your experience? Or, like, what, what is that like? Thank you so much again for, um, for being on the show. I hope we can get you back on again. I'll mute my line. The stories that I get from the streets and from the material that I read online, it's, it's, it's another problem that we have to deal with because um, I have a number of articles on the blog that's talking about this idea of segregation on Rio's beaches. Like uh, middle upper class white Brazilians, they make it obvious, like you black people don't belong here. Go back to the periphery. We don't want you here. Right. So it's exactly that. The black people who are police do often act as a buffer zone. They have to whiten their ideology and look at black people who look like them as the actual problem. It reminded me of that scene in in Boys in the Hood where the black cop uh, had pulled over uh, Trey and. It, it just it just reminded me of that scene right there because their uh, police work is a very popular uh, occupation here. So you have a lot of black people in the police force here. But it's just like Chuck D said. It's like, hey, every brother out here is not a brother. Just because a guy looks like you don't think he thinks the same way that you do as far as a black struggle is concerned. So, yeah, I see a lot of that here. A lot of black police abusing black people also. Now, would you say that the, the white Brazilians are more abusive towards the black people as far as your experience? Or would you say that mixed race Brazilians t- tend to be more abusive of the black population, the darker population? Wow. OK. When you say abusive, are you talking about just like verbally, emotionally, physically? What, what do you mean by abuse here? Yeah, I would say I would say anti-blackness as far as verbally and then also in some cases physically, because, of course, verbal confrontations can escalate depending on the reaction of the recipient of the abuse. So I was just wondering, is, is the verbal altercations between, let's say, um, the, the lighter strata more, would you say they're more abusive towards the black population from what you're hearing or experiencing? Or would you say the white Brazilians are the most abusive and let's say the mixed race ones are piggybacking off of what they see white people doing? Wow, that's, exact, that's funny. That's, that's kind of the way I see it. Um, again, I have to go back to the Chancellor Williams book because you can't identify all quote-unquote mulattoes as being anti-black, but without this engagement in black consciousness, oftentimes the quote-unquote mulattoes pardos can be just as racist as the white people. I have a over the last, another issue that has been rising in the black blogosphere in Brazil in recent years is the idea of colorism. Of course, African-Americans are, you know, we've been aware of this issue for a long time, but it's a, a conversation that's happening more and more in here. And you'll see a couple of articles on the blog that's talking about black on black violence, black on black racial insults, black people calling other black people monkeys in the same way that black people in America call themselves niggas. You see a lot of black people. There was a famous situation from a few years ago where this black soccer player was being booed and people were making monkey chants. But then when you looked up in the audience, there were some black people from the, you know, from the opposing team who were calling him monkey too. So yeah, that's definitely a problem here. And when you, the, the, the thing about Brazil is that this country could be, it could be the offset of a black revolution if we were to reach enough people, because if so many people who have African ancestry dating back, just, Recently, now you have two black parents or you have African ancestry with your grandparents and you start to identify as black. We could have about 120, 130, 140 million black people here. It's just that so many people lack that consciousness and that keeps the movement stifled. Uh, Hang tight. One second, Roz. I just want to make sure we don't miss any of the folks that dialed in. Uh, Mm -hmm. Emmy, are you with us? Emmy should be uh, on the line. Does she have a question for Marquise? Greetings. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. 
Fantastic. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, one day I stumbled upon one of the posts, the Paul Mitiero post, and I spent like all day pretty much just clicking link to link to link to link on your on your site. So I do thank you because it, it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, so my a couple of questions, some of them yes and no. Can you read Portuguese too? Sure. I, that's where most all of the material that you see on the blog has been translated from Portuguese, except for my own. When I when you see black women note from black women of Brazil, that's my own opinion. But then the rest of the article, you'll see the name of the author there. That that material has been translated from Portuguese. Oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. OK. And then so um, what I understand is that Brazil is going uh, undergoing a whitening process to make the population more white. Mm-hmm. My mind says that there's so many black people and so little white people, how do you make the population white? Wouldn't the population just be brown and then eventually all brown? And then my next thought is, why are there still white people then? Why are there no white does that, people? Does that make sense? No, why are there uh, the, still white people? Okay, let me explain it this way. Brazil can never be completely white in the North American sense of being white. Okay, but this idea of being almost white and we there's something here that we call Brazilian white. It's like these people know that they're not quite white, but in Brazil, they can, quote unquote, pass for white. But another thing that Americans need to understand as a whole is that this country was colonized by people with white skin. So there are a lot of people think there's no white people in Latin America. You just assume everybody's mixed. There are clearly white people who would pass for white in Europe or the United States here. It's just that a large percentage of these people have traces that you can see these people are part indigenous or part black. And they just they're allowed to pass into the white category. Now, as far as the whitening thing is concerned, I don't think Brazil can ever be, again, white in the American sense of the standard of of what we call whiteness. But what I mean is that so many families here I've seen families where there's seven and eight brothers and all the the entire family married white people and then their kids married white people and they produce progressively whiter people. So you could look at it and say you have a large population of people who look almost white, but they'll never be quite white on the global standard. I'll put it that way. But I do. I put it this way. The the dark flavor flav color that we we're accustomed to seeing it's is is in Sao Paulo is is it's a it's a smaller minority when you consider there's 20 million people in this city. Um, so I, I don't see, you know, that that darker skin seems to be fading away every day in the, the way that I see it. Wow, because mm-hmm. the reason I ask is if that's going to happen here, I don't know if I could really see because I do see the rise in so-called interracial dating miscegenation and Mm -hmm. producing of offspring but then it's like i don't really see white people here being cool with losing their legitimate whiteness that they consider that they have so then Mm -hmm. i guess it means that the white people there came up with like the solution was well and okay so then my other question i'm sorry it's a little bit scattered but so these are portuguese people and then like spanish and portuguese from what i'm understanding they weren't ever really white, white anyway. They've been right. like honorary whites are brought into being white because mm-hmm. Scandinavian German whites needed more white people to be white. 
Mm-hmm. But so they already kind of like at a subconscious level or whatever know that they're not really like white, white. Do they mm-hmm. talk about that? Like, do the Portuguese talk about that? Do you think that that has anything to do with why they're maybe more open to saying we don't really have to be white, white because we were never white, white to begin with, but we just want to have more of us. Do they talk about that? Like, is that written anywhere? And, and then I'll, this would be my last thing is the process of whitening. Has that been outlined systematically? Like, can you go and documents and have you read where they, you know how white people do, like real systematically outline how they plan to do it, what systems were in place, what their projections are, what the ultimate goal is. Have you seen that? Let me try to sum this up because I see we're moving in on the three minute mark. Um, There are a number of quotes from the early 1900s of uh, Brazilian social scientists, anthropologists, politicians, all speaking on, wow, how long is it going to take for the black population to disappear? Some people estimated 100 years. Some people were pissed off. That's too, that's too long. It, it shouldn't take more than 80 years. Other people said 60 years. In 1911, Joao Lacerda Batista went to the Conference on Race in London, and he forecasted that the black population in Brazil would disappear within 100 years and the quote unquote mixed population would be like less than 3%. So yes, you can see historically, like they were actually talking about this. A statesman from Portugal is, is documented in his book. He, when he started talking to Brazilian states people about this issue, like, look, you should, you should start enforcing miscegenation in your country and that'll evaporate the black problem. So yeah. Um, then the other question you mentioned, there was a famous black sociologist. Uh, his name is not coming. Alberto something. Alberto Guerreiro Ramos. And he spoke about the pathology of the white Brazilian. And, and part of that essay is speaking on how some white people know deep down, like, I'm not going to be accepted white everywhere. You know, it's kind of like a Brazilian thing. It, it, it reminded me like of a a lyric from a DMX song where he was just like, you know, your, your skirt is showing. We know what you really are. So, yeah, people know this. It's just like within the Brazilian circle. Like, look, here we're passing for white and we're going to claim all the privileges that come with it. Wow. Appreciate that, Emmy. Uh, last caller. Uh, I think this is our caller in Alabama. 9828, did you have a question for Marquise, founder of the Black Women of Brazil website? Um, looks like yeah, uh, he asked my question, but he was going to speak to another caller. I'm oh. just listening to Oh, right on. Good to hear from you, caller in Alabama. Uh, we had a person, uh, he wrote in uh, his question, who is responsible in Brazil <laughs> Uh, or rather, who is responsible in the area known as Brazil for defining who is classified as black? I heard the guest state tonight, it's the people. This individual has shared some great information. I'm a little confused with the understanding of who is in charge of deciding who's classified as black or white or any of the racial classifications. Mm-hmm. Man, again, uh, this is this is why it's so complex trying to understand Brazil. I have to point to an example from 1976 where they did an unofficial census. And just make it an open-ended question where people could just state what they thought they were. There were 134 different responses. People were like, you know, my color is burnt from the sun. You know, I'm almost white. You know, I'm uh, my skin is a little bit pink or my skin is slightly brown. I'm burnt cafe. There were 134 different terms on the on this unofficial census. So what I'm saying is that 
that's that's why it's confusing for some people. Like, do you define people by the racial classification or by the racial identity? Because people who say they're white are not quite white sometimes. And then there's people who say they're not black who are clearly black. So this is why I said it's confusing to say you can't just look and say exactly what percentage of this pop of this country is black because it just it's in the eye of the beholder. If, if you're a person who looks and says, I don't consider that person to be black, but this person identifies as black. How so is that person black or not? That that's the question. That's it's an ongoing. I, there's not one answer to that question. And the other thing that there's something I had to admit a few years ago because I, I used to get into a lot of debates online about this. And some of the uh, academia would be like, look, you can't classify Brazil the same way you do in the United States because you don't have the same political dynamics that go with blackness in the United States as you do. Brazil doesn't have that same history. And in some ways, that is true. You could look at a a person here who classifies themselves as black, but they have no connection to black consciousness. They just happen to look black, but they don't identify with the political struggle. So it's – it's an ongoing question, and, and I'm curious. That's why I introduced the blog to English speakers, because I would like to more see more African-Americans, Africans, Af- African descendants in the Caribbean and Africa to, to chime in on this issue. Because before we can unify as a people, we have to identify who our people are. And in Brazil, it's not as simple as people think it is. Context of white supremacy. Um, you all did have a major uh, shakeup with regards to the first female elected president uh, and her fall from grace. Uh, we were talking mm-hmm. about that before we came on air. I know some of our listeners uh, have been following that as well with you being so close to ground zero with that situation. I guess what are some things that you would uh, ask that listeners think about that situation or some of the things that have stood out as important to you? Well, I had been here for a year and I, I remember the night that it happened, the you know, manifestations, the demonstrations and protests, they, they popped up out of nowhere. Right. And I was just like, we talked a little bit about a certain topic before we went on the air. I'm not going to get into that right now. But the point is, when I discovered it, I'm just like, how does the hundreds of thousands of people just hit the streets all over the country? It started over uh, like a 20 cent raid 10 10 or 20 cent raise in the bus fare all of a sudden thousands of people in the streets and then i come to find out years later that this was completely united states sponsored the the current president who took over from president Gilma was her vice president and unlike the united states where your president and your vice president are from the same party in brazil it's not like that you can have a vice president and a president from two different parties and the two parties that were from Gilma and the current president, Michelle Timmer, are from opposing parties. They're like the Democrats and the Republicans, right? So when I looked behind the curtains, I was like, wow. It's, it, it was almost like the same sham. You know, people might find that controversial, but when I look behind the curtains of Black Lives Matter and I look behind the, the curtains of Occupy Wall Street, I see the same fingerprints that did the same thing in Brazil. This was a a coup that took place from outside of Brazil and uh, key political figures played a part in that uh, undermining of uh, the Brazilian president in order to cover up their footprints in one of the biggest scandals in Brazilian history. So I still look at this government as being illegitimate. But the, one of the main reasons why I see the, the, the earmarks of saying that this is not a, a legitimate movement because people believe, oh, Brazilian people woke up. We took to the streets and took our government back. Like, uh uh-uh. uh. And the, one of the main reasons I say that is because one of the main the, the protests were from a, 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 a number of issues because 
the party of Juma had been in power since about 2002, and it was the first government that actually was trying to make to to bring black people and poor people and try to give them a bigger piece of the pie and the middle and upper classes they rejected that they never adjusted to that the issue of affirmative action is still a big issue here you have countless white people self-identifying as black even though they've called themselves white all their life to to get into affirmative get into college on affirmative issue uh, affirmative action that's a whole nother issue but the telltale sign that the manifestations were a sham is that if people took to the streets over 20 cents, the governments in across the country says, OK, we'll keep the bus fare the same. But then several months later, they spiked the bus fare up by 50 cents. And then here in Sao Paulo, it went up another 30 cents. So after the manifestations, bus fare went up by a complete 80 cents and there was not a peep from the people in the streets, which shows me it was a complete setup. Fascinating. I know when. Wow. Well, when we talked about this before uh, with Dilma uh, Rousseff, uh, the disgraced, impeached uh, president, I was struggling mm-hmm. with that racial classification. Now, do you know, is she someone who identified as white or not white? I've never heard Juma identify herself as either, but most people accept her as white. I don't think there's anybody here who say she's not white. She's uh, from what I understand, her father was. Well, I think he was a Bulgarian Jew, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, her father was from somewhere in Europe. I think he was a, like I said, I think he was a Bulgarian Jew. She was a former communist at the time. Also, there's never been a question about Juma's. I've never looked at her as anything but a white woman. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Okay. Fascinating. Fascinating. I'm, I am uh, sure I feel like it would have been great to have you on during the Olympics because that was a whole nother conversation. You all have some great great articles. Anything anything you want to get in briefly on the Olympics? You know what was what what, what I was uh, impressed about with the Olympics, even though I'm not going to get into this issue here because it's again, it it leads into a whole nother topic. But part of me just feels like so many professional sports are scams they're 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 set up and they're rigged you know for to favor whoever they want to favor i mean brazil got beat they hosted the world cup for the first time in 2014 and they got to the semifinals how do you explain they got beat 7 to 1 i look at that game was being completely rigged and there's some evidence that points to some cia involvement in paying off the players now some people believe that some people see it as just conspiracy theory but I'm I'm looking at professional sports. It's just it's all a sham nowadays. But I even feeling that way, I was happy to see so many Afro-Brazilians represented at the Olympics. There were, I don't know, maybe seven or eight people who won either gold, silver or uh, or or bronze medal. I was I was pretty happy to see that because uh, even in, the you know, before the as the Olympics was building up, I was just disgusted because all of the TV commercials was coming on. You saw 90, 95 percent of white people, the, the 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 people who were being seen as being favorites in the Olympics. They were getting all the spotlight and those were mostly white people. The only people who were really given a chance to bring home the gold and they believe that to be the soccer team. Right. So I was happy to see, you know, the first girl who won the medal was uh, Rafaela Silva. She won in judo. And racism even goes back in that because when she got beat in London for an illegal hit during a match, you know, there these people insulted her. They called her or they called her a monkey on Twitter. And it was just it was it was pretty ugly. So that was one that was my biggest post of the year. So many eyes were on the Olympics and everybody flocked to that to that article because it was exactly what I said. 
Before she won that gold medal, she was just a poor black girl from a favela who nobody cared about. So I was happy to see so many black, or if you prefer, black and brown, Afro-Brazilian, however you want to define them. A lot of them were non-white. And that, that was good for, for representation around the world because the face that outside of Brazil people see in the media particularly is often white. I, I don't – do you remember about seven or eight, nine years ago when LeBron James was on the cover of Vogue magazine with uh, Giselle Benchin, the top Brazilian model, the wife of Tom Brady? Uh, if uh, if my memory wasn't bad, I would say I think somebody just wrote an essay about that uh-huh. uh, cover and the consistent depiction of black people as monkeys and gorillas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I'm bringing that up is that back in the back in those times, I used to listen to Michael Bayston show every day, mm-hmm. and that and that was the topic of the day. People were chiming in on the Giselle LeBron James cover. Now we already know because of the history of interracial relationships why. That caused a stir in the United States, whereas in Brazil, it would be kind of looked at, looked upon as it's a black man with a white woman. He's trying to improve his life, whereas in the United States, it's like, oh, you got to have a black man on a cover with a white woman. Right. So it's a completely different response. But what, what struck me was that one caller called into Michael Bayston's show and says, well, look, technically, Giselle Benchin is Brazilian, which means she's from Latin America, which means she is a Latina, which means she's a woman of color. I was so disgusted. I was driving in a car. I wanted to pull over and call into the show. I was in Canada at the time, and I wanted to call. I didn't get through, but I was just like, it just, it, 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 it filled me in again on how Americans have such a confusion over this idea of race, identity, and nationality. Giselle Benchin, her name is of German descent. That is clearly a white woman. Who's going to tell me that just because she was born in Brazil, she's not white? That's the whitest woman in Brazil. There's plenty of white people who look like Giselle Benchin. So we need to get over this idea that all people in Brazil are mixed because, no, you have white people, you have black people, you have people who are mixed that look leaning more towards the black side, you have those mixed people who are indefinable, you have those mixed people who look a little bit more white. So the United States, we, we have a long ways trying to understand how this miscegenation plays a, a major role in the people of the society. But in the future, I see this being more of an issue in the United States as p- people continue to marry across racial lines. And in my history of just talking to mixed race people in the United States, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing this as getting to a, a, an issue of people not wanting to talk about this. Like, look, I'm part black and I'm part Japanese. I don't want to talk about race. So again, like I said, the Brazilian and Latin America formula may under undermine black identity in the United States, the way that it is going right now. Hmm. Well, real, real quickly before we let you go, and it's super late uh, for Marquise uh, down in Brazil. Uh, they are <laughs> way, is. way, way, way ahead uh, of me. It's only seven in the evening. Uh, you had a post with the Olympics also on Simone Biles. Uh, I had seen this guy. I just didn't know oh, the whole backstory. Man. Arthur yeah. Nori Mariano, where they were taking uh-huh. these cute selfies and saying, oh, this mm-hmm. is my best bud. And people were even wondering and hinting, are they a romantic couple? And just you, mm. you have great information going into the backs. They're the same type of thing uh, where you would think that this is just a cool guy. Brazil race is not an issue. Wait a minute. This guy has a history of demonstrating the same tacky racist behavior. Can you give us the mm-hmm. update on Arthur Nori Mariano? Oh, my God. That story. Okay, here's the thing, because a lot of people chimed in on that article because it was in the middle of the Olympics. And uh, really what I, I, I was dying to know how Simone would Simone, how, to, how she would have reacted to that, because it's apparent to me that she didn't know this whole history. If you dig into the article, you will see 
that there was a black gymnast on the Brazilian team who got excluded. He was not even on the team. So this guy, if you look at him, he's not white. He's like part Japanese and part something else. But the thing about it is he was trying to ride on the coattails of the American because everybody knows the American athletes are going to they're going to dominate the Olympics as they do every year. But it pissed me off because even though he's a perfect example of the person who is not white, but who wants to partake in the privileges of whiteness with his pale skin, because the guy, he's not actually white. And as far as people were trying to, you know, speculate where, you know, did they have something going? Was there something more than friendship here? I'm not going to speak definitively on the issue because this is only i don't know i I haven't done enough research on his background but people tell me that he's gay so i i can't even really i have to do some more research on that but i just the reason why i even brought that up was because i wanted to cover a definitive american brazilian perspective on how race was playing out and how this white guy was using his skin color to advance his career that left his black teammate basically in the dust and there's people who say the black guy was a much better gymnast than this other guy. Can you believe it? A black person that's qualified, <laughs> competent, skilled, being denied an opportunity for a less qualified, pale person? I cannot. Oh man, I cannot believe it. That's that's that could only happen in the U.S. That would never happen in Brazil. Maybe in Georgia. I don't know. They don't. They don't have problems like that in Detroit anymore. We took care of that a long time ago. Uh, you can visit. I'm going to try and post uh, some of the different uh, reports that we talked about. Uh, Emmy beat me mm-hmm. to the post. Uh, the blackmail who was sharing from Finland. That's already on my uh, Facebook page. But I'm going to try and get the one that we just talked about. Uh, this guy with Simone Biles. Uh, we'll get that one up and some of the others uh, about the interracial dating, quote unquote, that we talked about earlier so that folks will have uh, an idea of some of the different offerings. And it's updated regularly. Uh, looks like you put in a lot of hard work, thousands of articles, literally uh, on the site. And then to do all the work with the translating, uh, getting it in English and the comments and everything looks like uh, a real labor and love. Uh, really want to commend you for your efforts. Uh, just appreciate you for being able to take some time out to come speak with us this evening. Uh, we definitely uh, want to have you back on the program because I, I definitely think this is an important region in terms of just having a better understanding of racism, white supremacy. So we'll certainly, as long as you're willing to come back and hang out with us again, okay. be great to have you on the program in the future. Look, look here. I'm, I'm always available. Um, uh, I, I have a number of English speaking friends here who probably might even want to talk to you sometime. Um, yeah, that's that's my whole point. I, I want my blog to speak for itself. It, this is not a thing where I'm trying to become famous. I just want black people around the world to understand that we are a family and the same issue that's happening here, that's happening in South Africa, that's happening in uh, black people in Europe. Even though there are slight differences in all of our histories, it still comes down to the same thing. We're under a system of white supremacy, period. And I definitely let's keep in touch. Uh, look forward to uh, definitely do a sh- do another show because we could just focus on just one topic for a whole mm-hmm. show. There's so much to talk about. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Just the racial classifications mm-hmm. alone uh, in Brazil that <laughs> we could easily spend the whole program on. I mean, woo. That's uh, word. The address again is blackwomenofbrazil.co. Black mm-hmm. women of Brazil. 
www.linkedin.co. It's linked in the description. I'm posting articles on the Facebook page. You should not get confused. At minimum, you can just search Black Women of Brazil. I am sure it will pop up first page of your search results. Uh, Check out the material, and it's updated regularly. So if you go uh, daily, you'll see different reports and different things coming up, and it's related directly to racism, white supremacy. Thank you so much. Um, Best health uh, to your daughter, to your entire family, and uh, keep up appreciating work with the website, sir. Oh, thanks for having me on the show, Gus. I've been I got to get back into listening to your show regularly to get because there's so much material. But your shows are always so informative. I'm looking forward to the guests that you have there. And definitely I'm, 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 I'm ready to do it again. Just give me a call. Absolutely. Absolutely. We will right, uh, be in touch and we'll be speaking to you soon from the cow, sir. Thanks again to keep up the good work. You too. You too. Have a great day, right. sir. Talk to you. Talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Bye now context of white supremacy again the black women of brazil founder uh, mr marquis hanging with us this evening joining us live from brazil glad we could have him on the program and again patience all the way around we had rescheduled a couple times for health reasons my own and his daughter we persevered and made it happen great information uh, hopefully a constructive investment of your monday evening for the people who tuned in live um we will be here on Wednesday, uh, Keith Beauchamp, he'll be back with us. He was a guest on the program in 2015. He's done lots of documentary film work. Uh, He did the 2005 documentary, uh, The Untold Story of Emmett Lewis Till, uh, which is great. It has uh, Emmett Till's mother is in it, where they go over a lot of information about the case. His research got the uh, Department of Justice to reopen the investigation into the murder of Emmett Till. Uh, he also did a documentary on the Moore's Ford Bridge lynching uh, that happened in Georgia. Our guest uh, happened in 1946, uh, where they uh, a mob of whites, uh, they killed four black people, including a pregnant black woman, eight-month-old pregnant black female, and two World War II veterans. Uh, this is in 1946, Georgia, uh, where he did a documentary on that as well. I mean, just lots of great work. All of his films, uh, documentaries have focused on racism, white supremacy. We talked about uh, all of his different projects back in 2015. Timothy Tyson, a uh, suspected racist, just did a book on the Emmett Till murder, and he mixed like the feature of the book, uh, Carolyn Bryant, the white woman who lied and said that Emmett Till whistled at her or tried to rape her or whatever, the reckless eyeballing uh, and warranted him being tortured and killed. Um, he got an interview with her, Timothy Tyson, in 2008, and he publishes notes from the interview. And he also got her. She wrote a book uh, about the Emmett Till murder from her perspective. Uh, it's called, I think, More Than a Wolf Whistle, but it's uh, unpublished and it won't be. It's sealed. She gave a copy to Mr. Tyson and he sealed it until 2038, along with his notes from the interview. But so he does this new book and, and she admits to lying uh, about uh, the accusations of, of what Emmett Till did. And she gives a few other tidbits. But um, I spoke with Mr. Beauchamp about the book. He was not pleased. He said he was angry for a number of reasons. I wrote an article that was published in Atlanta Black Star uh, yesterday, and it touches on a good bit of uh, what his concerns were uh, with Timothy Tyson holding this information for 10 years to put it in his book. Uh, He said that, you know, he did not. They they had an FBI investigation was reopened in 2004. They had a grand jury uh, that chose not to indict Carolyn, uh, Carolyn Bryant Dunham in 2007. 
Uh, so, you know, this was very close to that time. He, he did not apparently go to the FBI or to enforcement officers to divulge uh, his notes or this memoir. Uh, he was not pleased about that. He said uh, he uh, said that Timothy Tyson did not speak with the family. Uh, Keith Beauchamp, he worked with uh, Mamie Till Mobley and Matil's mother for eight and a half years before she died in 2003. Uh, he said he's, you know, maintained contact with the family and that they were upset that he didn't let them know. Oh, by the way, I talked to this woman uh, who was a party to your son's murder, torture and murder. And uh, she has admitted lying about certain details. And I got this and he didn't do any of that, apparently. Uh, in addition to some other things we'll talk about tomorrow, but it was really interesting. Uh, and, and he said he considers Timothy Tyson a friend. I thought that was fascinating as well. But Mr. Beauchamp, he'll be with us Wednesday evening, uh, same program time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. We'll be grand to hear from him again. And as I said, you can check out the article at uh, Atlanta Black Star uh, on Timothy Tyson's new book and some of Keith Beauchamp's thoughts and a few of the sentences uh, from the book as well. Got some help uh, from Emmy on that also. She went through and did some highlighting and great points also. Uh, We are going to wrap things early uh, I think I can stand maybe two minutes if folks have anything they need to say quickly before we uh, wrap up. I have work to do, writing to get done, programs to prep for on the counter-racist grind. Uh, folks have anything they need to get in uh, within the next 120 seconds? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, thank you, Gus. I just want to say thank you for the guest. Um, I thought it was a great show. And I thought about it, and when he was discussing the fact that um, skin bleaching was not that big of an issue in Brazil, I thought, yeah, they don't use bleaching cream because their bleaching is all genetic, the way that it's propagated there. And that was something I would have liked to bring up to him because I think he probably would have agreed, but hopefully I'll get the opportunity in the future. Thanks again for a great show. I think he did say something pretty close to that uh, in, in his response, that that's just kind of the way they're carrying out the process, just without the the creams just hopping in bed accomplish the same effect uh any anybody else anybody else are we good got about 60 seconds if we're good that's fine too <laughs> if everybody's satisfied spectacular i can plug uh, the website again black women of brazil dot co black women of brazil .co. Check out the website. Lots of great information. And as I said, I'll try and post uh, some of the many different reports uh, that we referenced uh, this evening so you can get a, an idea of the great work uh, offered on the site and a uh, place to study. I'm serious about that. Anyone for serious students, uh, professional counter-racist soldiers, you get data, you get intel uh, with that high population of folks with melanin in that part of the world. Definitely a spot that I think, you know, you should at least have a passing interest. Uh, If you see a book from time to time uh, on that part of the world, maybe you find a blog, Black Women of Brazil, that you find and you check regularly to see what they're talking about uh, from a counter-racist perspective. But just something that we should be paying attention to. Any, Any spots on the globe where they have a high number of black people. We should make an effort to to be, you know, relatively informed about things that are happening there. Anywho, we'll be back on uh, Wednesday. If you have uh, guest suggestions, questions, uh, problems finding things in the archives uh, or just something else to bring up, feel free. Drop us an email until justice 
at gmail.com. Untiljustice at gmail.com. Listener supported counter racist radio. You can hit the blog racism hyphen notes dot blogspot.com. Racism hyphen notes dot blogspot.com. PayPal button is in the top right corner. If you are not into PayPal, drop an email and we will get you a physical mailing address. Huge thanks to all the folks who have invested, supported uh, almost eight years next week, eight year anniversary. Uh, hopefully we have helped folks get a better understanding of what racism, white supremacy is, how it works, uh, and at least some minimal things that this is a global problem. Our global Sunday talk on racism will be coming up this weekend global problem there is nowhere to run uh, where you think you can get to this spot on the planet and white folks won't be a problem for you that is a fantasy uh, that can have devastating consequences you should check uh, Roy Otley's book this is a black male who was uh, upset about racism and ended up in Nazi Germany global problem We'll be here on uh, Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Mr. Keith Beauchamp, looking forward. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks to Mr. Marquise for sharing a bit of time with us. And uh, we will be back soon. As I state consistently, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. I don't think being under the influence of tobacco, alcohol, any other narcotics substances is going to help us solve this problem. I know Dr. Welsing would encourage us, hey, let's make sure that our brain computers are in tip-top shape so they can crank out ideas, problem-solving strategies, techniques uh, to permanently neutralize racist man, racist woman, racist child. I think that's what she would encourage, that we could best do that by promoting sobriety. Uh, I've seen no evidence that us being under the influence makes us better equipped uh, to deal with the Darren Wilsons and Daniel Holtz clause of the world. If anything, uh, it just makes their job of stomping on us and mistreating us way easier. That's it. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. Uh i a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.